Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. B F F T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby with the Bald Face Truth. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome in. Bald Face Truth. Judah Newby in for John Canzano once again. 503 417 7575, the phone number. We'll talk a lot of college football and NFL today, as always. Mariners back in action tonight as well. 14 game win streak. Division rival in Seattle. They're unveiling the logo for the All-Star Game next year. Tonight, it's going to be a a lot of fun. Hey, when the Mariners are good and there's relevant baseball in the Northwest, that is a good thing. Excited about that. Talk a little bit about uh, that matchup with Houston and a lot more. Stephen Vaughn, Sean McPherson in the house as well. Was uh, thinking about this on my way in. I've got a lot of Pac-12 thoughts again today. The latest in expansion and the latest in the future of the conference. Is there a partnership with the ACC forming on the horizon? You know, what would that look like? Who would that benefit? And what does the Pac-12 losing USC and UCLA, what does that mean for Dan Lanning's future at Oregon? What does that mean for Jonathan Smith's future at Oregon State? Two different barometers to be sure, but I think both head coaches are impacted in different ways by the departure of two of the Blue Bloods from the conference for the Big Ten. We'll dig into that a little bit, talk about what is at stake for the Rose Bowl as well. Uh, But I was coming in, you know, it's it's mid to late July. I think it's still vacation season, certainly for people around uh, the radio station. You know, JC out. He'll be back again Monday ahead of the the ramp up to Pac-12 Media Day next Friday. Uh, but for all of our listeners, I'm sure, right? This is the time of year you're taking some time off. If you can, maybe a couple of different stints. You know, the uh, the road back to, to school, the back to school push is going to be coming here if it's not already in your department store of choice or on Amazon or wherever you uh, go. Were you guys that way? Did you guys ever do the back to school like clothes rush, like going going to Target, going to Old Navy or whatever oh, yeah. and uh Walmart getting all the clothes getting ready for a new school year. Yeah, it just wasn't necessarily the clothes, it's more just like the supplies. Like you get the school supply list after you go check the school and see what teacher you get, you know, your name's on the list. Like we were a big school. I was a big school supply guy. I always liked to get the sports pencils. Oh, oh like the number 2 pencils yeah, with yeah. the the logo brand. Yeah. I was all over the, that. Yeah. I love that. Those are my go-to all the way. The amount of anxiety I used to get as a kid just going to like a Fred Meyer or Target and just seeing like all the back to school stuff and just thinking, man, summer is almost over. Yeah. I don't think it's usually an August thing, so it's not like right now, but yeah, I used to uh I used to really really uh hold on and savor my summers because uh, I was never a good feeling when school returned. Yeah, you got to you got to savor the time while it's here. And that's part of it. It's like they're moving up, you know, these dates for back to school. You know, there's Black Friday in July stuff, right? There's like Christmas in July stuff like the the marketing's gotten out of control. So I was starting to seeing back to school stuff like in June before school was even being let out. I was like, what are you talking about? 
Like that, that that's a little quick. I'm like I'm with you. It's more of an August thing. But uh yeah, the sports branded pencils, the number two pencils with your favorite sports team logo, or you could get the batch of like the entire NFL or you know, your favorite college teams. I was into that in a big way, but I was a little bit weird growing up for a number of reasons. But one of them was, you know, when I was a little guy, I didn't really use those pencils to write. I would have my own like competition with the pencils and the logos of all the NFL teams. And we had this pillow growing up, like this big triangular shaped pillow, aptly called a wedge pillow. I don't know if these are a thing, but this, you know, in that house I had growing up, we had a big wedge pillow. It was like, you know, 18 inches, maybe, maybe two feet high, you know, in, in terms of like the, the outer part of it. And then it would, you know, angle down and you could roll pencils down it. And that's what I did. I, I would go to Walmart. I kid you not. I would go to Walmart and make sure I bought the latest pack of number two sports pencils with whatever, you know, where the updated logos or versions, I would go home and, you know, nerd out by taking a fistful of pencils, putting them on the top of the wedge, and just, like, releasing them all at the same time. And they would roll down, and they would collide, and I'd make all these sound effects as if it was an actual football game. And then I'd look and see what pencil was, like, you know, pointing the furthest ahead. And whoever, whatever pencil that was, that team won, whether it was the Dolphins pencil, the 49ers pencil, the Packers pencil. And, like, I turned it into my own stupid little football game with number two pencils with NFL teams on it. But that's what you do, right? That's what you do as a kid. You just come up with just silly little games like that. Like that is a that's a cool story. Like I wish I would have done that. I mean, we used to collect the uh like the little helmets like for the out of the quarter machines, you know, yeah. machines. We'd get the helmets and we would I would battle those all the time. Oh, I'd, that's I'd interesting. I would pretend it's Monday night football and have yeah. the helmets collide. How were those the little like 1 to 2 inch size yeah. helmets? Yeah, yeah. Like you'd get like at the uh oh, yeah, man. Like a quarter right at the check stand. That's the best. See, that's the best. I love everything about that. And uh and the, there were little footballs that they used to make back then too, like little like six inch foam footballs with the uh with the you know logo of the team on it we had a giants football we had well at the time they were called the redskins we had a redskins football uh we had a buccaneers with the old buccaneers logo football and i just loved playing football when i was like five or six just in my hallway like my hallway growing up was like two feet wide at best at best and you know 20 feet long and that was my football field, though, because I would set up yet another pillow, you know, one of those tall, taller, like two foot, three foot long bolster pillows that you might have. I'd set that up in the middle of the hallway. I would put blankets on it and maybe some stuffed animals on it and a little football on it. And then I would just go pass rush that thing and blow it up and awesome. pretend I was Cortez Kennedy. That That's how I spent my childhood. That's awesome. Yeah, so I had an older brother. What we would do is we would set up like two lawn chairs in the backyard and we'd separate them. And then we'd have like a line to throw behind and then a line as a defender. Yeah. And you would just throw to one chair to the other. If it hit the chair, it was a, t- it was a first down. If it, if the chair caught it and it stayed in the chair 20 yards, but you could also sneak it if you wanted to. <laughs> we were playing one-on-one football with chairs as our receivers. It was, I mean, we did that for hours. Dude, see that? That's great imagination. Did you do anything like that, Sean? Because you're in a younger generation than us by, what, 10 years or so. 
I what, to... what was imaginative playing like for you? Because that's one of my things now. And Stephen, you're a parent of you know what seven and five, so seven and three, yeah, seven and three. Wow. So their imaginative playing is a lot different than what ours was probably. But like my guess is, you know, kids' imaginations these days probably manifest a little bit more in video games and stuff like that. It's and, more like they're watching YouTube and it has to be on YouTube to find it, right? Like if yeah. I see a video on YouTube, like, oh, that might be cool, like then I'll try it. But if it's not on YouTube, I'm not going to try it. Right, whereas, you know, growing up for me, like I, I know John talks about this and, you know, it's not as old school as I think he thinks it is, but like I knew my friend's phone, home phone numbers. I knew all of them. You know, I called them up and we'd meet down at the uh, the elementary school during the summertime and would play literally whatever game. And, like, I'm a 90s baby. Like, we did that in the 90s. Does that still happen? Did you do stuff like that, Sean? Like, yeah, yeah. that organic just getting together with oh, friends yeah. and playing? Like, I don't know. I don't want to be old guy on the lawn because I don't think I'm there yet. But I do wonder if kids are doing that in the summertime these days. And, like, that that's some of my best memories of summer. I hope so. And, you know, I've worked as a, uh, a camp counselor the last, well, not this summer, but the last four summers before this one. And. Kids, kids still, I think, you know, every once in a while it saddens me to see someone on their phone, like a little kid on their phone or, you know, playing with some kind of game when, when we're playing games the entire time. But for the most part, like kids were really locked in on basketball or football or flag, uh, you know, flag football, that is, and uh, soccer and all sorts of different games. So I know I did that growing up um, and I, like you said, knew the uh, the home phone numbers. So I don't think that's uh, that's too much past my time. Yeah, but uh <laughs> Yeah, it's just the best memories of just, you know, calling up the neighbors. Used to go over, like, I, I was really lucky. I grew up in a cul-de-sac with all sorts of kids my age. And I would just go and knock on their door. And, you know, the parents would answer. And I would just be like, hey, can this person play? And then we'd go and play some basketball. Or we'd go to the school and yeah. we'd toss the football around. Or we'd go ride our, ride our longboards around, something like that, you know? Yeah, see, that's the best. Yeah, that's cool because because uh, we have a neighbor as well who is the same age as my oldest son, Lincoln. They're seven. They were in the same first grade class. And like it would take like halfway through the year to finally realize, oh, you're my neighbor. Like we live right next to you. And so like, oh, wow. so now like lately, you know, during the summertime, you know, she'll come over, knock on the door, like, hey, can Lincoln play? Or Lincoln will go over there, knock on their door, they'll play basketball. Um, and you know, she's she's a really good athlete, so you know, it's a really actually good competition between yeah. the two. But like, <laughs> they uh, they like to play outside and stuff. And like we did Fourth of July with them, just spur of the moment, didn't even plan it, but it just happened where we were both out there. So yeah, no, it's, that's cool. So to you've hear. been neighbors for a while, but you just found out well like we i mean me and my wife knew but like the kids like they just right, they, you know, you they're just they're so oblivious to these yeah. type of things they don't figure it out and then yeah. they finally figured out they're like you know by the end of the year they're planning what they're going to do after school at school they're like oh i'm going to play with layla after school okay yeah. that's cool perfect go knock on her door then yeah see that's great you know to have the the neighbor friends around you know for that you can play with is is a huge huge plus and uh yeah man that's that's what summertime was all about for me and they used to have you know, at the uh, at the public elementary school nearby uh, in McMinnville, where I grew up, they would offer like free breakfast and lunches a couple days a week during the summertime to kids. You know, regardless if you went to that school or not, like in the summertime, like they would have, you know, breakfasts and like cereals and stuff and oatmeal and different things. And then you would have breakfast and then you would play in the schoolyard and then you'd go back and you'd have free lunch and you'd play some more in the schoolyard and like there's your day and play a little basketball play a little baseball and i'm like man like i forgot about how you know fun that was for me as like a six seven eight year old kid and then of course i was playing little league baseball too 
and probably picking berries with my family in the middle of the day. There, there's your summertime. Throw in a little vacation, blink of an eye later, it's school season again. But that's what that's what it's all about. I, you know, I'm not, my, you know, my kid is almost one at this point, so we're still a ways away from uh, from having her, you know, play out in the neighborhood with knocking on doors, ra- knocking on random doors, <laughs> knocking on random doors. Although she is. She has grown so fast. It's pretty crazy. They do that. Like, and I, I hear that uh, baby girls can grow, like, really tall, really fast, you know, even more so than boys. Like, by the time they're in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, and then the boys shoot up yeah. in middle school and high school and later. But uh, I'm thinking my, my daughter, she might be into basketball or something. We're just starting to, like, throw the ball back and forth to oh, one nice. another. Like, toss it underhand, her little uh, toy balls, and, like, pass it back and forth. And, like, she gets a kick out of that. So That's cool. Yeah, looking forward to that. But it did make me wonder, you know, I was as, as I was driving in today, I was like, man, is the summertime experience for kids different now than it was for me? <clears throat> Probably. How much more different is it? You know, I also had caps on how much video games I could play, you know, how much computer time I could get. I resented my mom for that so much because I was like, that is so not fair. You know, I was only allowed to simulate six Madden games this hour. I got to be able to do more than that in franchise mode. Yeah. But at the I same gotta time, I got to get to free agency. I got to get to free agency. Although I will admit too, like I was pretty creative with my, with my Madden, you know, franchise modes or I, you know, cre- you, create a player mode for me. So like during the draft, do you create backstories for the players? Cause I always do that. Dude, I definitely yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, it, oh, this guy went to LSU. Yeah. You know, he was a high, one of top five star prospect coming to LSU. Then he struggled. That's why he's a fifth round pick. Yes, exactly. You have to give him the backstory. You got to do the backstory. My thing was Madden, I think it was 2006 on the computer, and uh, I created a running back that got drafted by Carolina, and uh, this was, I think Marshawn Lynch was in college, but I didn't really know a ton of Marshawn. This was, Reggie Bush was in college, so this was before Marshawn Lynch was, was a household name. But my guy looked exactly like Marshawn. We're talking like, uh, I mean, bigger, actually. Dreads. Dreads, visor. Yeah. You know, 6'2". Just buff. 225. Ran a 4'2". Of course. You know, he was, and his name was Rashawn Woods. That's, that's close. To pretty this, good name. Yeah, that's close to a lot of names out there. Yeah, close Robert to, Woods. In fact, I'm pretty Marshawn. sure there was another Rashawn Woods in the game yeah. that I didn't know of. But I was like, what's a badass name? How about Rashawn Woods? Yeah, I used you took that approach. I used to create a player uh, mostly on NCAA football, those games, Road to Glory, and I would name nice. him Sean McPherson and make him yeah. look like me. Just beast. But he was just a beast. That was the only difference. What like, position were we playing? It's some, I would make like a quarterback that just scrambled, yeah. you know, kind of like uh, pretty much RG3. Yeah. You know, like can throw was the he, football around. Was he a black around. guy or a white guy? It, was, it made him look like me. Oh, you did? Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, so <laughs> I created myself and made him a black guy and, and had to play the game. You're going you realistic, know. you know, football. <laughs> you got, exactly. Whereas Sean was actually, you did a scrambler though. Yeah. And he would go yeah. to Oregon and, you know, basically follow my dream. But yeah. like, obviously I don't have the capabilities that, that the animated Sean McPherson had, you know, I, as much as I would have liked. No, to you turned out to a long distance runner. Yeah, instead. exactly. As much as I would have enjoyed winning the highest. Wait, where'd you go to college? One, in this one, Oregon. You went to Oregon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I basically just like it was kind of like a fantasy for me. Yeah. Creative you always wanted to go to Oregon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you ended up there. Yeah, only school I ever applied to. Oh wow. Yeah. Hmm. And you didn't do J school or anything, just business. 
couldn't make up my mind, decided to be a business major. Probably a smart choice. Because look, look, you ended up in media anyway. I'm a business yeah. major, yeah. I mean, and your your dream was always to play college ball. I always wanted to be in the NCAA tournament, but I wasn't good enough, unfortunately. Couldn't get to D1. But you you're know, a big of, guy. You surprised me with how big you are. I see you walking around the hallway, and I'm like, dude, this guy, like, I'm like six I don't two, wanna... six three. Yeah, I'm is that tall. right? Yeah. Uh, we got, I don't, no, don't want to take you on in the low block. I, I know that you'd move, you'd move me around. <laughs> well, yeah, now I can't really move, but yeah, I could definitely uh, beast you down <laughs> low. Back, back in the day, I had a really good, uh, really quick first explosive step. That was my thing. I was mm. actually pretty, uh, really athletic uh, back in the day, but you know, I've kind of stopped doing things now that I'm older and have kids. But uh, back to the video game thing and the NCAA tournament, me and my buddy, college hoops, two K seven and two K eight, we would play. We would print out the bracket for the NCAA tournament, and we would play literally every single game and do our own NCAA tournament bracket, like during school. Like you could do that. You could put the teams well, in manually. To the... Well, we would just do exhibition games. And we oh would tr- yeah, I and gotcha. so we would track yeah. down the progress of the bracket, and then we would write down the stats of the MVPs of the game, and then we would choose our final, you know, first and second team all tournaments at the end of the bracket. <laughs> That's great. Because we just didn't want to go to school. We're like, yeah, I don't want to go back to college right now. Let's just let's go play video games. We just play video games for hours. Man, that's that is the best. The college football game, and isn't it coming back? The football game. Next it is year? coming back, yeah. Or something like that. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly when, back. but maybe not. I don't think next year, maybe the year after. You'd hope so with NIL, right? There's no reason for them to not have that game anymore. Oh, no, yeah. It's a it's a big deal. Like, people are excited. I'm excited for it, yeah. even though I don't really have a, a game console at the moment. You have to get one. But, dude, when I was in college, I unfortunately uh, wasted quite a bit of prime homework time playing NCAA Oh, six. Well, you got to recruit. I mean, the recruiting oh, man. is important. Recruiting. I went hard in recruiting, and I was a dynasty mode with Oregon State. We all know this. Recruiting is the lifeblood of your program. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. It's hard to balance school if you're he's busy recruiting. Like, how can they expect you to go to class? That's you're trying to run a program. It's hard to win national championships if you don't get all the five stars. I mean, yeah. if we're not going to put in time recruiting, what are we going to do? And uh, trust me, man, my Oregon State dynasty was awesome. And it was so fun. And, you know, in a very weird, nerdy way, it was a ton of fun to create a world in which the Beavers kicked ass. <laughs> and just, you know, we were we were great. Now, I did find that if I played it on pro mode, which was like level two or whatever, yeah. like I could still win pretty much every game, but it's a competitive game. Then the very next mode, like Heisman mode, they made it impossible. Like you can't win at Heisman mode. I don't know what it was with, maybe it was the console or something, but I was like, man, this is stupid. Like well, I'm out here losing Madden, a yeah. wazoo. Like all Madden mode. I remember my buddy, he texted me at 2.30 in the morning and he, well, he actually called me and he said, I just fumbled three straight times in a row, three straight snaps. <laughs> and he literally broke his controller and never played again. Yeah. It was like Madden 07. That's hilarious. The best part though, of course, is the soundtrack. You know, you are the best video game soundtracks is it was, we could do an entire segment on that. NCAA 06 is up there for me. I, I love that soundtrack. Songs. I'll still hear songs like, where do I know that's Madden? Oh, yeah. I know it from Madden. Madden 2003. In fact, in my bump music folder, which we haven't played this week, but we can. I'll play it. It's uh, it's pretty much all from Madden 03 or NCAA 06. <laughs> some Alien Ant Farm in there. Ooh. Some Bubba Sparks. Ooh. You know, a uh, little bit of everything. So maybe we'll have some fun with that coming back. Uh, all right, we'll talk more of imaginative video game exploits a little later in the show. When we come back, uh, I wanted to dig into Oregon State's schedule. Didn't get a chance to do that yesterday, so I want to do that today and put their matchups into three categories. Should win, probably lose, and toss up. We did the same thing with the Ducks yesterday, 
and uh, had some disagreements on a couple of those games. We'll do so again with the Beavers coming up. Newbie in for Kazano on the Baldface Truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. All the way up. I'm all the way up. I'm all the way up. Nothing can stop me. I'm all the way up. All right, welcome back. Yeah, a little different. You wouldn't catch JC playing that. I know that. He's uh he's got his different uh stuff rocking at Camp Exceptional this week. He'll be back in the chair on Monday on the Bald Face Truth. Judah Newby in for John Kizano today. Uh yesterday we went through the Oregon Ducks schedule and grouped a bunch of games into should wins, probably lose, and uh, toss ups. And if you're a Duck fan, you know, obviously you got to feel pretty good that you're going into a year where there's just one game on the current schedule, the 12-game schedule, that's a probably lose. And that's your first game. And that's against the team that literally won the title last year. So uh, everything else for Oregon is a should win or a toss-up. And yesterday we debated a couple of those games, like the road game at Washington State. Is that a toss-up game or is that a uh, should-win game. I put it in the should-win category. You know, I think Oregon should be able to take care of business there. But later in the year, a road game at Cal, I put that in the toss-up category. And maybe uh, you could do, you know, one of the other on that. Like, right, hey, you split the Wazoo and the Cal road games. Um, But everything else, you know, the Utah game, I think that's a toss-up game. I put the Oregon State rivalry in the uh, the toss-up category as well, even though if you're a Duck fan, you could probably say, yeah, we should win that game. But I put that in the toss-up uh, at this point. And when it's all said and done, the Ducks' t- win total is at 8.5, and, and it's a stay away for me. I think most people are, uh, are saying, hey, I would take the over on that. I know it's juiced to the over. By the time the season starts, it might be at 9 um and you know depending on where you're finding the win total but you know for me i'm i'm probably not playing that i could see oregon going eight and four i could see them going nine and three i would lean though to the eight and four side of of that argument and you know 50 60 percent conviction but but nothing major there so for the oregon state side of things you know would do the same thing how many games are should wins how many games are probably lose and how many games are uh, in the toss-up category. And for me, I put, and keep in mind, their win total at five and a half, which is, they always put Beaver win totals too low because they don't really get a lot of action on the Beavers, frankly. Um, But if you had the over on Beaver win totals the last two years, you're a winner. So um, I would probably do the same thing again this year. But in the should win category, I have at Fresno State versus Montana State versus Washington State versus Colorado and versus Cal. So Fresno State, that is the week two game on the road. Their week one game against Boise State at Reeser Stadium is a toss-up for me. Their home game late September with USC is a toss-up for me. 
The road game at Stanford is a toss-up. At Washington is a toss-up. At Arizona State is a toss-up. And versus Oregon is a toss-up. And the one game that they probably lose, and it's just one that I have on here, is at Utah. And there you go, you know? Is any of that, does that sound reasonable, Stephen and Sean? I've got five in the should wins and one, two, three, four, five, six in the toss-ups. Mm. <laughs> I think, And that's kind of a cop-out. It's like, man, I could put every game in the toss-up, really, yeah. with the Beavers, because pretty much every game is between zero and seven points on the point spread, and you'd be, you'd be stunned at how many times they're a touchdown underdog and they go down and win the thing, like look good, and then how many times they're a field goal favorite and they lose. Now, Jim, does this change your mind at all? I'm looking right now at betonline.ag. Uh, the Oregon State win total is six and a half with the under juiced at 130. So there has been some oh. action on the over. So it's up to six and a half, uh, but juiced to the under. Would that change your mind of going under or over on a six and a half? Yeah, that's a different conversation for me because you can get over six and a half at plus 100, under six and a half at minus 130. Yeah, I don't love yeah, betting unders on teams that I like because I like Oregon State. Yeah. But what? They won seven games last year, right? Yeah. And, you know, what are they losing this year? I mean, Avery Roberts is gone. B.J. Baylor is gone. Um, You know, the quarterback is the same. And even though the quarterback, I mean, who knows if the quarterback is the same. Technically, it's a competition between Nolan and Jebbia and uh, Goldbrinson, who I kind of like Ben Goldbrinson. He's he's this young freshman, I believe. Um, Maybe he's a sophomore this year. I don't know. But he's a a good-looking player. Um, Nolan... Is probably going to be the front runner there. But then, you know, at running back, replacing B.J. Baylor, who led the conference in rushing last year, lest uh, lest we forget. And that offensive line for Oregon State, obviously it's a strong unit. Finalist for the Joe Moore Award last year, given to the best offensive line unit in the country. I think Air Force was in there. They run the crap out of the ball. Uh, Oregon State was a finalist. Um, and somebody else was a finalist. I can't remember. And then Michigan. And Michigan ended up winning. The Joe Moore Award. And Morgan State's only losing two starters off the offensive line from last year. Now, one of them is their center, Nathan Eldridge, who we remember was the grad transfer from Arizona. He didn't get drafted. I don't see him signing on with any pro team, which was a little surprising to me. But maybe there's some medical stuff in there that I don't know about. Because he was a good college player. And he was a good, good center for that team last year. And obviously a ton of experience. And then... uh, Noose Kunabom, or however you say his last name. Uh, he, he was the right guard last year, really good player, and he is out too. So they've got a new center this year, but, I mean, you know, the new center is uh, the kid that played left guard uh, last year, and today he was named to the watch list for the Remington Award, Jake Levengood. And uh, so he's got a lot of experience. I mean, he started eight games at left guard last year. He's just going to kick over to center. The point being, I think Oregon State's offensive line is going to be their strength once again this year, which means I think their running game will be their strength once again this year, even though it's probably Deshaun Fenwick. And then there's this freshman guy, Damian Martinez, that had a hell of a spring game and a hell of a spring. And people are really excited about this guy. And he's built like a tank. He's like 6'2", 220. And uh, I think Damian Martinez is going to get a lot of run as the second running back with Deshaun Fenwick, and then Trey Lowe is still there. Uh, Keenan Lowe's brother, I believe, and um, he's a really good third down back. And the funny thing is, I looked back and was watching some Beaver tape, 
earlier this year, you'll be surprised at how many times it's like third and five and third and six, and they just run it. They'll just run the strength. They'll just run the ball. And Oregon does that a little bit too. You'll see that in college football a lot more in general, but with the Beavers, like with their offensive line and, you know, Trey Lowe can pick, pick that up, you know, and, and that's, I think where Jonathan Smith is more comfortable with chance Nolan in ways that we might not realize on the surface is his like decision-making at the line of scrimmage, or if he's in the shotgun checking out of certain place and checking into others, like Nolan's a pretty smart kid. And I think uh, Jonathan Smith is comfortable with that. Like he likes Nolan's ability to get to the line of scrimmage, see things, either flip run directions or change certain plays. And there's something to be said for that. Cause at the end of the day, look, if your quarterback is not like an alpha playmaker, then you want somebody you're most comfortable operating the offense, being the mechanical operator. And, you know, Chance Nolan, that might be his best uh, best strength. Yeah, I mean, we talked about Chance yesterday, just how he's not necessarily that game-breaking quarterback, which is fine, right? You can still win six, seven ball games, just like the Beavers did a season ago, uh, if you have a strong running game. And it seems like that they're going to have another strong running game again. They Last year, they proved that they could run against pretty much any team in the Pac-12. You know, mm-hmm. the Pac-12 isn't known to be, you know, the toughest league uh, out there. It's a little more soft than uh, a lot of other conferences out there. So if you're Oregon State, you're going to play your strengths, you're going to do that, you know, at six and a half, if the number is six and a half, I mean, I'd probably lean under. I think that is just going to be tough for Oregon State. I look at their non-conference schedule. I see them going two and one. I don't see them sweeping Boise State and Fresno State. I think they'd probably lose to one of them, beat the other, then they beat Montana State. So that would mean they'd have to go five and four in conference, which is what they went last season. They went five and four in league last year. I just think right now, looking at the schedule, I think they lose to Oregon. You know, a tough game at Utah, I think they're losing that one. A tough game at Washington, I know they beat Washington the season ago, but to go up to Seattle is a different story. So I just think it would be tough for Oregon State to get five in the conference. I do think they're going to get to six wins. I would love for the number to be five and a half so I can get the over. But, I mean, if I had to make a bet, I think I'd go under because I think they get to six and six. I think to get to seven and five uh, just may not have it with Chance Nolan's uh, you know, lack of playmaking ability, throwing the ball down the field. I think it does eventually hurt them. Uh, against the better teams, but I do think it's another bowl season for Oregon State. Yeah, can we just let's be clear about what the uh, the toss up threshold is? Is it a forty percent win percentage to the sixty percent? Can we can we clarify that being the toss up uh, threshold? I think so. Yeah, and okay. for me, a lot of it is you know where is the game being played, and uh, just yeah, the the state of the. The opposition. It's the matchups okay, too. Because, because I think like Oregon State against Utah, like Oregon State never plays well against Utah. So Utah right. could play Oregon State. Well, on they the beat moon. them last year. That's that's yeah. And but I will say, like last year's game was so weird. Yeah. Utah was so much better in that first half, and Oregon State was making mistakes. And like they they were you know they put one in the paint a couple of times. They had a nice little wide receiver end around to I think Anthony Gould is his name. He's going to come back and be a receiver this year too. Like they they did some stuff, but then I was shocked Utah lost that game, especially yeah, it's a, it's a for shame. what for what we know about Utah with with how they ended up it's, later it's in the year. It's a shame they lost that game because maybe the Pac-12 has a uh, a college football playoff team if Utah ends up winning that game uh, against Oregon State. But yeah, I asked that question because I think it's very generous for this Oregon State team to be a toss up against USC, even though it's at home. And same thing with Oregon. And I know why, we, why is the USC one generous if they beat them last year on the road 
And UIC, obviously, I mean, they're not, talented. And then this time, it's, it's in Corvallis. Let's not, I mean, comparing last year's USC team to this year's USC team is, I mean, uh, they're definitely it different. might be the biggest improvement of one yeah. college football team It's also team the biggest seen. unknown, though, right? Like, we don't know how USC We know they have a ton be. of talent. So, I'm kind of with Jude on this one. I think... Right now, I would lean towards toss-up just because it is in Corvallis and they have had success against USC in the past, and it's just so unknown. But after yeah. week two, week three, we'd be like, you know what? This is a should win what, by USC. What's the percentage? What's the what's the percentage likelihood they beat USC? And then same thing, same question for Oregon. I would say like right now, without any fall camp or whatever, and like you know, we could have the same conversation the week of September third and yeah. re-handicap a lot of this stuff. It's it's 50-50. Really? That's how much I wow. like. I do like Oregon State. And that's their first conference game of the year. Um, they get to do it at home. I think everybody's going to be jacked, and they want to kick USC's ass. Yeah, I I think that's the wild card. Like, and I've talked about this. What is the crowd going to be like? What are the players going to be amped up? But I'm with you, Sean. I do think Oregon should be a win against Oregon State. I count that as a loss as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm a little bit... Uh more pessimistic about Oregon State's chances against both USC and Oregon. I know we talked about Oregon yesterday, and, you know, I made the argument. I can't sit here and pretend like I didn't say, like, oh, that could be a little bit of a scary game for Oregon. But still, you know, I, I think I'd probably give them a 40% chance of winning both those games right now. So I think, it, it you know, it's it, there's a conversation about whether it's a toss-up mm-hmm. or a probably lose. And I know we have to see it with USC, but the talent is just so jarring and there's going to be such a talent discrepancy on that football field. And what worries me about Oregon State this year is the fact that they are, are going to host maybe 29,000 people at their, their stadium, right? You know, Autzen has like 55,000, and that's a smaller college football stadium uh, when you compare it to some of the SEC schools. So I'm not sure what the home field advantage is going to be like. Oregon State was amazing at home last year, but I feel like that could be a, a big detriment to their season this year. Yeah, that's definitely a, a huge, huge factor. All right, we're up against the clock, but we'll keep this conversation going when we come back. You've got the bald face truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back to the program. Nubian for Kanzano. Beautiful Friday out there. A week from today, Kanzano will be broadcasting the BFT live from the City of Angels, Los Angeles, California, public enemy number one of the uh, Pac-12 footprint at the moment. We'll talk more expansion a little bit later in the show, and you can chime in on Twitter at 750thegame. You can chime in on Twitter at Judah Nubian over the phone lines, 503-417-7575. So, Sean, you did bring up something before the break I think is worthwhile. How do you categorize a toss-up game as opposed to a should-win game? Frankly, I just did it by feel because I'm a feeler kind of guy. You put me on the Myers-Briggs, and I'm, uh, what, like uh, F is for feel as opposed to uh, N is for thinker or something like that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, sounds good. At At one point, I was an ENFP. But then I found out that E stands for, you know, uh, extraordinary. No, it doesn't. It stands for uh, extrovert. That's right. I swear, one point at one point in my life, I was an extrovert. I'm so lost right now what you're talking about. There's no doubt I was an extrovert at one point in my life. And uh, I, I just don't feel like I am that way anymore. I don't know what happened, if that's a natural thing to turn from extroverted to uh, introverted. But if I took the Myers-Briggs again, I'm probably... An I instead of an E. Yeah, I'm looking at the Myers-Briggs test here. So. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You 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 look at ex 
you scale yourself on extroversion, introversion, and then uh, sensing versus intuition for how you take in information. And then how do you prefer to make decisions, thinking or feeling, which is what we're yeah. doing right now. Yeah. You're I'm feeling. Feel, I'm you're feeling feel out guy. the beaver schedule. How do you prefer to live your outer life, judging or perceiving? Oh, I perceive all the way, baby. I judge. Okay. A judger. You're a judger. So with those my wife's a judger too. I judge people all the time. Yeah, I know you do. (laughs) (laughs) I like to feel them out. It's more my thing. I don't give them a chance. What are you, Sean? Uh, yeah, I'm a judger. First impression. I love how you're like cringing through that. That's great. No, man, I'm feels. I'm all up in my feels. But it is a good point. Like, what do you, you know, what do you consider? And I just told Sean this. I found this stat of about the University of Oregon and why yesterday I talked about when they play BYU, I think they should beat them. I think it should be a win and counted in that category. Uh, did you know this, Judah? Over the last four recruiting classes, only 15 schools have signed more four- and five-star recruits than three and two-stars, two- and three-stars. How many schools? 15 in the nation. In the last four years? Yep, the last four recruiting cycles. And you're going to tell me BYU's in that group? No, I'm going to tell you Oregon has recruited more four- and five-stars than two- and three-stars. They're in the top 15 Oh, group. more it's, four- and fives yeah. than twos and threes combined. Yes. yes. It's Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Oklahoma, A&M. Texas, Notre Dame, Clemson, LSU, Florida, Penn State, Miami, Auburn, Michigan, Oregon. And for that reason, I think... Did you say Miami was in there? I did. That's interesting. For that reason, I think Oregon should be looked at as that group. And when they play a team like BYU, who is a lesser team, um, coming into Austin, I think it should be a win. Yes. And and maybe that's me having too high expectations on Oregon. Put it this way. What's the point spread right now? Would that... What do you think the point spread is on well, that you game? Well, you guys said six or seven. seven. I said a little higher than that. I said ten, but probably probably around eight, I would guess. <sighs> it's cut it in half. I mean, it's obviously going to be affected by how Oregon plays against right. Georgia. And how, how BYU does. I think it's six and a half. Like, right in my head right now, it's six and a half. Like, it's not even a full seven. I would have, and I would lean BYU. They are tough. Yeah. That's the kind of the point with them. They'll They'll probably never be in those recruiting categories that you just mentioned right there. And guess what? Doesn't really matter. Doesn't always matter. They're tough as nails, and if they've got identity and if they've got style, and that's what Kalani has brought there, you know, and uh, that's what makes me nervous about them. But the, when you say it like that, yeah, it's a game that you should win. And that's right. I think like it's with all the, the expectation. Yeah, that yeah, you should win that football game. But I would have said that about a lot of Pac-12 teams against BYU, and they lose these games. That's a good point. It's really BYU's history against the Pac-12 that has me putting that one in a toss-up as opposed to a should win. Yeah, and I think- and it's a first-year head coach with Dan Lanning. Like at, yep. at some point, like he's got, he recruits so well. The staff that he has recruits like crazy. We know this. What does it look like on the field? That question is a big freaking question. Like, what does it look like actually when you play the game on the field? Because, you know, Crystal Ball was the same way. And that guy had Justin Herbert, for crying out loud. And what happened in his first season? Now, I will say, Oregon, you know, they won 10 games a season to go with Crystal Ball, who we have questioned, is he a good X and O coach? I don't think he's a great X and O coach. I don't think he's a great game manager. I think he makes a lot of emotional decisions. Can Dan Lanning really be worse than that, Right. Probably, got, yeah, probably not as a game manager. I don't think he'll be worse, but and so that's we'll my thing. With, <laughs> as Crystal Ball got ten wins with that team, I think Lanning, even if he is just as bad as Crystal Ball, like they should be right at nine, ten wins. And with that being said, they should beat a team like BYU. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. They, they're also you could say you know Crystal Ball's first year, and this is what I'm doing in my head. I'm comparing the first years of 
Cristobal to the first year of landing. So I'm comparing 2018 to 2022. I basically am trying to figure out in my head, is Dan Landing taking over a program right now that is on higher ground than when Cristobal took it over from Willie in 2018? I think you got to say he is. Yeah. You know? I mean, there's no Even Justin though Herbert. you've got Bo Nix playing instead of, you know, Justin Herbert, who in 2018, you know, he was a freshman in 16, so... That would have been his junior year. You know, junior year yeah, but he, he, had two he, seasons, he missed he missed half the year in seventeen the with the year. with the injury. Yep. So you, we didn't really know. That you know, in seventeen was a terrible year. Uh what, didn't they win did they end up winning four games in Willie's year that year? I mean obviously they it was made a bowl game. Well not not in seventeen. You know they made a bowl game in seventeen. No, oh, they, they did. They got crushed by Boise State. Oh, you're right, you're right. Sorry, yeah. So that was, was a decent the, year. That was, was the Vegas uh Slightly excited about the Vegas Bowl. You're exactly. Right. So, yeah, so they won four games in 16. Then they got to the Vegas Bowl in 17. That was a weird game, man. And then, speaking of weird games, 2018, the Red Box Bowl. Uh, not, the final score is something along the lines of, like, 7-6. to six. You are correct. Awful. Yeah. Awful game. But I, I will say, just going off all of this, this is why the, the Duck schedule is so interesting at the start because they play Georgia, who's awesome, and then BYU, who we all can agree is awesome no matter what I'm saying about it. But like like you said, I do think talent-wise, Oregon should at least get this win against BYU. It should, be a, it should, be a, should win against yeah, BYU. I, I think talent doesn't always matter, though. I think you know, look at a team like BYU, sure, they don't, they don't pull in the recruits that Oregon gets, but – they have an experienced quarterback, Jaron Hall. He's back for another season. They have Kalani Sataki, who's an experienced head coach, and they clearly play with some kind of style that agitates Pac-12 teams. I mean, they they beat <laughs> and they USC beat all fans and apparently Oregon fans. Yeah, and so I mean, don't chant at them. Yeah, look for those reasons. BYU scares me a little bit here, and I I, I just think talent doesn't always matter. Like you can point to any most teams that are, uh, that Oregon plays and say, hey, you know, they have more talent, they should win, but. Washington State seems to always agitate Oregon. Stanford seems to always agitate Oregon. Uh, Cal is a team that, although they don't have a ton of winning success against Oregon, those games seem to always be close. And I could see BYU being the same thing here. Although, you think about the early season schedule for Oregon, and it's it's very difficult. BYU might have it even worse. Uh, South Florida week one, and then Baylor week two. So no Georgia's in there, but, man, that's, that's two good teams yeah. like it's no, there's no They've Eastern got a tough Washington. as nail schedule. And we mentioned it yesterday, though. Like, Phil Steele still thinks it's a 9 or 10 win team. Yeah, right. South, South Florida's not very good. They're double digit favorites on the road against South Florida. Okay. Because South Florida is usually a pretty good program. Which, by the way, I mean, Charlie Strong was there. He's not anymore because he's on Cristobal's staff now. Oh, wow. Down in Miami. Cristobal's got. Did you know Cristobal hired Jason Taylor? Yes, I did know that. I did know that. Yeah. Jeff Her, Scott is the South Florida. And I was Florida like, did Jason coach. Taylor go to the U? I'm looking at it like, no, he didn't. He's he, a went Akron. he went to Akron. <laughs> Jason Taylor was a third round pick. BYU uh, 12 point Future favorites. Hall of Famer. 12 point favorites at South Florida Week BYU, 1. BYU 12 point favorite at USF. Yes. How many Week 1 lines do you got? I got them all. All right. We're going through these suckers because I, I got to. I got to get the juices flowing with some of it's these fun. point spreads, man. But I think BYU Oregon at this point would be like, I would say it's Oregon six and a half without having seen these guys yet. And I would lean BYU to cover the number on the road, like Oregon to win the game, you know? Yeah. But when I, when you say it that way, it's hard for me to put that in a should win category. If I'm like, 
I think the I think the road dog's a live one. You're probably right. If it was six and a half, I think I'd probably take the Ducks. If it's seven and a half, eight, I might lean to BYU. Yeah. But. Well, no, those are key numbers. Yes, as we know. Exactly. <laughs> All right, we'll come back. Big splash and hour two still ahead on the BFT. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. All right, welcome back to the program. Nubian for Canzano. John will be back Monday. Big week of shows coming on Monday. Tomorrow will be six weeks away from September 3rd. September 3rd is when the Ducks play the Bulldogs. September 3rd is when the Beavers play the Broncos. And uh, I probably should just mention, you know, we were talking about the win totals with Oregon State. Where would you lean on five and a half? Probably to the over. Where would you lean on six and a half? Which apparently is where it's inflated in the last uh, week or so. I'd have a hard time going over at that point. But to me, it really comes down to the opener. And I don't want to put too much on that opener. But if you're talking win totals, like so much of this comes down to if you beat Boise State and Fresno State. I put Fresno State in the should win for Oregon State, even though it's on the road because they lose Jake Hayner. They lose their head coach, Kalen DeBoer. You know, am I overlooking Fresno State by putting that in the should win for the Beavers? I just feel like it's a classic Oregon State spot to split those games. And that's just a feel thing. If again. you beat Boise, then you lose to yeah. Fresno. And if they that lose would, to Boise, they beat Fresno. The thing is, and I said this going into the bowl game with Utah State, three straight Mountain West opponents for the Beavers, right? Mm-hmm. And Utah State, I, I cannot explain that one. I can't explain that one. Beavers looked so good in the first two minutes, and then the rest of the way yeah. just weren't there. Coming up against it, let's knock out the big splash. <laughs> The one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. But the big splash. One time for Jeremy Pruitt, huh? Tennessee knows what it's up against as the NCAA presented a notice of allegations to the university. The NCAA lists 18 violations and almost $60,000 of cash or gifts that were provided to volunteer players and their families by Jeremy Pruitt, Jeremy Pruitt's wife, and numerous coaches, recruiting staff, and at least one booster. 51-page document published earlier today. They're in trouble. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby with the bald faced truth. Give me your expectations for Oregon and Oregon State this year. 503 417 7575. Expectations for the Beavers should probably be just get to another bowl game, make it two straight years. Six wins will get that done. Expectations for the Ducks? I don't really know. You know, part of me wants to put a win number on it, and then another part of me is like, it's year one under a new coach. Like, really, you're just laying the groundwork to build a program going forward. You like how I said that? I did. So you're just building a program 
and uh, and you're trying to you know build it year over year. So why put a win total on it? All right, Kale. Keep in mind that this year is the first year that the Pac-12 is doing away with North Division champ against South Division champ in the Pac-12 championship game this year. It's just the top two finishers in the conference. Now, obviously, scheduling is still impacted, right? North plays North, and then you get your X number of crossover games. But when it's all said and done, you're going to be looking up at the standings that you could very well see two South teams playing in Vegas. You could very well see two North teams playing in Vegas. And uh, if you're Oregon, tell me if I'm wrong. Reasonable expectation, a reasonable goal is to get to Vegas this year. Crazy or accurate, Stephen Sean? I think it's definitely uh, not crazy. I think it's what they should be shooting for. Again, I go back to just the recruiting and how well they've done uh, in the past couple seasons under Cristobal and now with Dan Lanning. They have a lot of momentum in their favor. Uh, you know, you look at the odds right now, they're the second favorite right after USC. So I think it's definitely, uh, you know, Vegas or bust right now for the Ducks. And I understand what that are those odds right now? Uh, right now, I'm looking at it. Uh, USC is plus 210, Oregon plus 225, Utah plus 250. So it's really a three between the three teams right there. But I think if you're a Duck fan, you should try to expect that you're making it to Vegas this year. I mean, of course, you're in the Pac-12 North. Washington, Washington State, Cal, Stanford, Oregon State. I mean, who who out of that group really is threatening Oregon? Like, who who's stopping Oregon from going to Vegas there? It could, well, it could I mean, certainly that's, be done. That's kind of the point, though, is like they could win the North and, they not, should go, win the North. and not go this year because, right. you know, Utah and USC right. might finish 1-2, and that's – you know, because it's no longer division champs, but winning they, your division doesn't all those put you North, there. They get all those North teams, they, they right? Get, so they they get be, the same opponents. Which right. what, what you would say the North is weaker than the South this year? I would year? say so. I think so. Because UCLA is going to be better. USC yeah. is going to be a lot better. Utah's the returning champs. ASU is always a thorn in the side, even though their quarterback left. I don't even know who's playing. Wait, who is playing quarterback for ASU? Oh, well, isn't got, it? Uh, they got Emory Jones from Florida. That's it. Yeah, Emory Jones. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's gonna be fun, dude. I can't wait. Yeah. It, there's so many transfers. I I saw that yesterday when we yeah. were talking about all the transfers and how one guy went to one school and then you could translate to another one. I I translated all the way to Florida, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, Sean. Like, who is the second best team in the North right now? It looks like Washington is the odds on favorite to be the second. I, best I team. honestly think it's Wazoo. I I'm just high on Wazoo. I I feel like Washington State's gonna have a good team this year. Or and, is it Oregon State? I mean, Oregon State has a legit argument to be the number two team in the North. So like to that point again, I do think for Oregon. Oregon, you play the weaker of the side of the conference, you should realistically get to Vegas. The um, Last year, the Beavers were, I think, number two in the north, going all the way up to the rivalry game with Oregon. And I'm trying to – I'll have to dial up the standings. but Because when it's all said and done, I'm not sure if Wazoo ended up being the number two team because they you know, crushed Washington in the rivalry game. Uh, the day before. Wasn't that it? Like, the Beavers still had an outside shot to win the Pac-12. Yeah, there was or a to win the, They had a shot to win the North if Washington beat Washington State in the Apple Cup the day before. Right, and Instead, then they beat Oregon. Yeah, so <laughs> and they beat a, Oregon, right. But, so, I mean, realistically, Judah, like, Oregon State could be the number two team in the North. Yeah, but Sean, you could like be. Wazoo, and that what is that? Mostly a Jake Dickert thing, or are you also high on Cameron Ward in that offense? I'm high on Cameron Ward, and uh, just the... Uh, the offensive prowess that they have year by yeah. year, the air raid offense. It's uh it's super effective. And I, I'm just a believer in Washington state. I, I really like what they did under Jake Dickert. As soon as they got Rolovich out of there, they started rolling last year. 
and I think that uh, I think they're going to carry that momentum into this season, and I think they're going to be a tough draw for for Oregon. And you know, I I bring up the Pac-12 North, and it's an advantage for Oregon, right? You look at Oregon's schedule this year; they they avoid USC, and then they get to host Utah, they get to host UCLA, and they, uh, you know, we're not even counting the preseason. The preseason's super tough for Oregon, but that doesn't really count towards their their Pac-12 uh, standings. So I look at Oregon's Pac-12 schedule, and I think it's very advantageous. There's some trap games in there. There's going to be some tough road games, but the the highest profile and toughest opponents that they have on their Pac-12 schedule are coming to their their place that they haven't lost at since 2018. Steven, you said that the Beavers' win total has already jumped to six and a half. Where, where's the Ducks? Uh, let me get now? let me get the live one here. It was supposed I, to be at eight and a half. It was at eight and a half, but uh, part of me thinks that it's already probably jumped to nine flat at this point. Real quick yeah, here. yeah, but because that, yeah, but that, how much stock do you put in the fact that it's a first year coach and first year staff, first year OC, you know, full fledged play caller in Kel- Kenny Dillingham? Like, I, I want to think it's all going to be fine. Like, they know what they're doing, but I know there's going to be growing pains. Like, you, you can buy into the hype with these guys as recruiters all you want, and you should. The talent's going to be there, but I know there's going to be on, at, on the field growing pains. It happens every year, especially with a first-year head coach. Like, I don't know if I can immediately write in 9-3 and three with that. Yeah, I mean— I mean, I, that seems ambitious when I know— one of those is a loss in week one. I mean, as a Duck fan, you have to hope that you get all those out in the first three games, mm-hmm. right? That That is a good thing that you're going to play some good teams at your non-conference. Hopefully you get some of the chemistry things out of that way and you can get your chemistry rolling for the Pac-12 season. Uh, yeah, Judah, it is eight and a half, but is juiced way to the over. Uh, over eight and a half is minus 155, under plus 125. So juiced way, uh, way high on the so over. So if you really like eight and a half, you got to bite the bullet and you got to get it now. You know, you got to pay a little bit for it. Right. But you got to get it now. If you want to get a better price and just wait for nine, because you think this team can win 10 games anyway, then wait and get a better value and if, at if, nine. If, if it's you, you like the under, I just wait until it goes up even I just, higher. But I hate betting unders with teams that I'm <laughs> interested in. I will bet unders. No question. It's one of the least sexy things about me. And there's, you know... Not a, many a, unsexy yeah, things. It's you a know. sickness, but like, you, know, you got you to deal with it. Uh, you, you also have some week one lines out there, Stephen? I do, yeah. You brought those up. I'm going to dial up the week one college football schedule. And look, if there's some week zero games, I don't know if they're calling it week zero or not, but uh, I know there's some games the week before, right? The Dublin game. Yeah, the Dublin game, Northwestern uh, versus Nebraska, 9.30 a.m. on August 27th. So, I mean, that's barely over a month away, Judah. Yeah. Uh, We got Nebraska 13-point favorites in that one. Nebraska, Adrian Martinez is now at Kansas State. He is. Did you guys know that? No. Yeah, their quarterback is now at Kansas State. and He's all-time leader in all their stats, and Nebraska just left. But also just a maddening player in so many ways. Yeah, I think Nebraska's probably happy. The fans are like, all right, good, go ahead and leave. Yeah, like he brought excitement there, and Scott Frost is probably fine. But I have no idea who's playing quarterback for Nebraska uh, this year. But, yeah, big number. What happened to Northwestern, man? Like, weren't they in the Big Ten title game not that long ago, a few years ago? And it's still Pat Fitzgerald and toughness and— 
Evanston, you know, right up there. Like they are beautiful thir- new facility. Yeah, they're thirteen point dogs to the Huskers. Ouchie. Yeah, it could be inaccurate. You never know. Hey, looky here, UConn, Utah State. <laughs> That's a fun one. Yeah. Uh, who knows who's the head coach at UConn without looking it up? I do, Jim Mora. Oh, yeah, okay, you're right, Jim Mora Jr. It's uh, not a bad hire. Seahawks head coach of 2009. If you're UConn, I mean. And just 2009. (laughs) Yeah, if you're UConn, there's worse shots in the dark than to take on Jim Mora Jr. He he was not good at UCLA. He wasn't, but to get him at UConn. He was fine, right, but not great, yeah. And you're right, UConn, like, who knows. They had, like, a third-round pick, though. Travis Jones, defensive lineman. Like, I mean, the Orange Bowl, I mean, you know, what, 15 years ago? That's crazy to me. That's almost as crazy as... Kansas. As Kansas making the Orange Bowl. What was Kansas's quarterback? Todd Reesing. Reesing. <laughs> that guy was great. Yeah, the, the, it was like the Mangino. number one versus number two match, Kansas versus Missouri wow. in the Big 12. And that's a huge rivalry. Yeah. Yeah, geez, Louise. Kansas making a New Year's Six game. That's crazy. Remember when Urban was at Utah winning Sugar Bowls over Alabama? I was young, <laughs> yeah. but uh, we yeah, all were. I, yeah, Alex that Smith, was yeah. that was that's crazy. That Urban Meyer was at Utah. It feels like yeah. that that person and that school do not fit at all. <laughs> you mean the Roman Catholic, allegedly devout <laughs> Roman Catholic that's been linked to the Notre Dame job for years and years doesn't really fit in the non-Roman Catholic state of Utah. <laughs> You're right about that. Um, yeah, man, that, that was nuts. And I remember, well, yeah, Alex Smith was the quarterback. The backup quarterback, or the guy that I think was going to be the starter at Utah before he got injured, was a guy named Brett Elliott. And he broke his leg, I think. And that gave way to Alex Smith taking the job at Utah and eventually winning the Sugar Bowl, becoming the number one overall pick. Um, Brett Elliott ends up transferring out, going down to the D3 ranks at a little school in McMinnville, Oregon, called mm. Linfield. Mm. Shout out Wildcats. Wow. And leading your Linfield Wildcats to the national championship in, I think, 2004 season. They went to Salem, Virginia. And uh, I want to say they beat Mary Harden Baylor or something like that. But when Linfield won the national title, that was a big deal. I mean, I was a kid, but that was a really, really big deal, I think. And uh, I love, I'm a sucker for D3 football, too. Love D three. Went to a D three school myself. So is Mary Harden Baylor about. that that school that always wins? Um, no. Nah, well, I mean they're always in it. They're in Texas, but really it's a Mount Union St. Thomas thing. St. Thomas is actually playing Division one athletics now. I don't know how that happened, but St. Thomas is like a Division three powerhouse in Minnesota. Uh, Wisconsin Whitewater is always good, but like guys like Pierre Garcon and stuff like that, they went to Mount Union. So Mount Union is generally considered the d3 power each and every year but out here out west there's been nobody as powerful as linfield uh and joseph smith and uh what he's done there has been has been awesome so if you have a chance man small college football in the state's a lot of fun high school football is a lot of fun on friday nights i don't get to go to as many high school games as i want but like we should take a station trip do some high school football and and d3 football but like you know check out lewis and clark check out some other uh, good programs right here. Even George Fox, like they've got a program now, and uh, they've got a good field, you know, and it's a fun atmosphere. But if you can't make, if you can't pay the ticket, that's the one thing I would say is like it's hard to get good tickets and justify the trip to Autzen and Reeser sometimes. You know, being able to go down to a place like McMinnville, catch a Linfield game, like 
that can get your college football fix in. Like, yeah. th- and that's fun stuff. It's good stuff. It's, I mean, live live sports is just it's a different level, right? Like, even yeah. no matter small college, like I played small college basketball, so I know it's like it's not the best basketball, but it's good to watch and it's fun to watch because they are really good athletes and stuff. So yeah, I mean, even the small college football, like it's going to be fun to watch. And I should have even put Portland State in that group too. Like, obviously, you got to go out to Hillsboro to do it, but it's going to be fun to uh, to see Portland State in action this year and. Uh, Big Sky Media Days are starting tomorrow, I believe, in Spokane and continuing through early next week. Big Ten Media Days starting Tuesday. Who knows what they'll talk about. And then, of course, Pac-12 Media Days coming up on Friday. But um, I got a little sidetracked for the one millionth time uh, hosting this radio show. We were going through week one lines. We'll go away, go to break, and come back and uh, revisit some of those week one college football lines and get some of our our top plays. I pulled them up. We're ready to go. We're ready to go. We'll have more of that coming up on the BFT. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. All right, welcome back. Bald Face Truth on a beautiful Friday. Hurtling toward the end of July. Jude Anubian for John Kizano, Stephen Vaughn, Sean McPherson in the house as well. Week one college football, six weeks away, at least for the uh, Labor Day weekend. A uh, handful, a smattering of games is what you could say. A smattering of games will be played the weekend before that, but we won't really count those um, aside from Nebraska Northwestern in Dublin on August 27th. That's going to be fun. But, Stephen, you've dialed up some week one college football lines. Uh, we'll certainly go through some of the Pac-12 games, but we'll also go through some of the other uh, big ones that are scheduled along the way. So let's start with the uh, the Pac-12 games, and let's start with – let's just start with the Duckies. So you got Oregon. You got Georgia. It is 12.30 p.m. ABC, September 3rd. Uh, from Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, technically, technically a neutral site. A neutral site. Which we all know how that goes. What is the line that you see right now, and where are you getting your spreads? Uh, so I'm getting it right now at Bet Online. Um, I can also pull it up in another offshore book, as I have numerous accounts places. Uh, but uh, <laughs> right now it is Shame currently <laughs> currently Georgia minus 17 and a half. 17 and a half, okay. Because I've seen 18 in some places already as well. So it's off of 17. It's on 17 and a half. Sean McPherson, where are you going with your money? I'm going uh, Oregon plus 17 and a half. I, like Georgia, Georgia's not Alabama now. Like It's not like Georgia. They beat Alabama <laughs> in last year's national championship. But let's I just not pretend. love the confidence with which you say that when they literally beat them for the title last year. That's great. But since but then, I, they I know lost. what you're saying. Yeah, they, they lost all sorts of players. Like Alabama yeah. brings back a lot. <laughs> Georgia, Georgia's retooling this year, and they have all sorts of new new players and very talented players, all sorts of five stars, but they lost so much uh, from their team last year to the NFL draft, and I, I don't see them being – the question is, are they going to still be so dominant that they can beat this Oregon team by 17.5 points? And I don't see it. I feel like Bo Nix uh, will be good enough. I feel like the defense will be good enough, and – I, I could see the game being ugly, but I can't see – and I could see Oregon scoring very little, but I can't see them just getting blown out by a Georgia team that's going to be figuring some things out as well. What do you think, Steven? Oh, man, I, I have no good feeling on it right now. I, I would lean Georgia. 
uh, minus 17 and a half, I would eat the point, eat those. I mean, I just, I think with the returning to Stetson Bennett at quarterback, I think Georgia's going to be able to score on Oregon. The question is, like Sean said, how many points can Oregon score on Georgia? And I think it's unknown because Georgia lost so much of their defense, but they're all five-star kids, right? They're all elite prospects coming back. Um, so I think right now I would just lean, you know, being in Atlanta, I think I just would lean right now Georgia minus 17 and a half. I wouldn't feel good about it. Uh, but that's just kind of where my head's at. It is stupid how much talent Georgia had uh, on defense thing. last yeah. year in particular. Like, I went back and watched uh, some of the national championship the other night. I was just looking at the guys. I was like, oh, there's Trevon Walker. Okay, he was the first pick. Yeah. All Such right. a weird first pick. Yeah, a very weird pick. But at the same time, the dude is a freaking monster. <laughs> just, like, jumps off the screen. The production ne- wasn't there necessarily, but... And it's like, you know they have Trent another Trevon Walker you. just waiting in the wings to fill in yeah. for him. Yeah. And yeah. Then, I'm looking at the roster right now for George. I'll tell you what scares me as a Duck fan. Brock Bowers, the tight end they have. Right. He's going to be a really high pick next year. And, uh... You know, they have they have some other good talent. Stetson Bennett's not keeping me up at night. Can I just say that? Stetson Bennett's not keeping me up at night. He's not Bryce Young. He's not CJ Stroud. He's he's formidable. He's, he's not, fine. He's uh he's not that talented in terms of Bryce uh, Bryce Young or CJ Stroud. But what did, I mean, Georgia had quarterback stuff last year, right? Didn't JT Daniels start yep. the opener against yep. Clemson and They boy, still have JT Daniels or did he move on? He transferred. Yeah, where is he now? West Virginia? Yeah, I think that's right because he visited Corvallis. Yeah, they were for a second there. He was, you know, thinking about Corvallis, West Virginia, thinking about uh, UCLA, and I think you're right. I think he ended up at West Virginia. That's too bad. He would have been fun in in Oregon State. Yeah, that would have been that would have been a game changer. That'd be cool. I would. I thought he was a really, really good player. Where are you leaning, Judah? Seventeen and a half. I'm leaning Georgia. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you guys think this Georgia team? With all that talent they lost, is still going to be so good that they're going to be able to. Because uh, who's the experience lean? Like, does Oregon have more experience here? Like, I, I don't know a ton about Georgia. I'm not going to pretend like I I know their roster up and down and their whole storyline. But it, it feels like they lost more than Oregon did, and yet they're going to beat Oregon by 20 points here. Well, they definitely lost more than Oregon. That is for sure. It, I just think- yeah, no one lost more more high end talent right than I- Georgia. But same coach, same quarterback. In Atlanta, and they're still going to be nasty on defense. Dan Landing's first game as a head coach. At least uh, Dan the, Landing. When the emotion wears off a little bit and you get into that third quarter, like, here's my thing. If I were to kind of actually bet this game, and I don't know if you can, I don't think you can parlay props with point spreads, but I think Georgia gets a pick six and covers the yeah, number. Yeah, you can do that. Same you know what parlay. I mean? Like, that's that's kind of the, the way I, I see it going is like, there's a fumble, scoop and score, or there's a pick six that Georgia's defense gets in the second half at some point that makes that number hard to cover. And for Oregon, I mean, I don't know. Like, Dan Landing knows that Georgia defense better than anybody. He'll have to be in Kenny Dillingham's ear, and I'm sure they are already, on what is the best strategy to attack that defense. And that Georgia defense, like, I don't know a ton about them either, but I'm looking at their returning starters, and you've got Nolan Smith, who I played a huge role in the championship game last year, he is uh, their j- jack linebacker, if you will. Keely Ringo, yep. he's the one that had that game-sealing interception. He's a funny-looking player in terms of, like, 
his profile, it doesn't scream, oh, that's a corner. He's not, he's a pretty stocky guy, but uh, he's back. He'll be one of their starting corners. Uh, Christopher Smith as well. He's a senior strong safety. So those three guys, you know, are big. But then the the defensive line for Georgia is all new. You know, Michael Williams is a freshman, 6'5", 270. Jalen Carter, sophomore, 6'3", 310 at nose tackle. And uh, Warren Brinson, 6'4", 305 at the other D tackle. I just look at that and I say, you know what? It sounds weird, but Oregon's strength probably still is their offensive line, given the number of guys returning. Is Oregon's best chance to compete in that game running downhill right at those guys and then letting Bo Nix do what he can off of that? Because I don't I don't think what Oregon has at wide receiver is going to be good enough to, to get open without getting schemed open with something really cool or just building off play action. Like, I think Oregon's going to have to run the ball and I'm, I'll give them an outside shot to do that, but it's hard for me at the end of the day. I'm sure my, I'm sure I'll place a bet on Oregon when it's all <laughs> said and done on that 17 and a half. But I don't know. Do you think that number moves at all by kickoff taking injuries and in fall camp out of it? Um, I think it, no, I think it, yeah, stays. I think it stays. I think it stays right yeah. there. My thing about Oregon is also is, and I don't know if I'm wrong about this, but I think Bo Nix, he lost his job at Auburn. And he was always under, you know, underimpressed at Auburn as well. Oh, he got hurt too. He got hurt, but he, it was always, you always wanted more out of him. Mm -hmm. So how much can you really trust him? I know he's a, it was a good pickup by Oregon to get him in there, but I don't trust him enough to make a lot of plays against a Georgia defense. So I'm with you. The Oregon for Oregon to stay in this game is going to be because they can run the football. And then it's a play action pass by Bo Nix where Bo Nix makes a lot of mistakes. So I just feel like with the Georgia defense and all those elite guys, uh, coming in, I just I don't trust Bo Nix enough to get enough points. I don't trust the skill guys. I mean, they, right. all their skill guys are brand new. Like I could see Bo Nix, you know, trying his best and and playing pretty well, but I could also see you know Troy Franklin dropping dropping a big pass or Sean Dollar struggling to get going. Like almost all of their skill guys are are pretty brand new and so talented. Like I I have big expectations for these guys this year. But it, it, I could see it going like uh, the LSU game back in 2011. Correct. And that was Anthony Thomas's first game. He fumbled a couple of times, and Tyron Matthew had a big hit on him. He fumbled, and Tyron Matthew took it to the house. Uh, I could see it playing out like that a little bit, where Georgia just kind of wears down Oregon. The skill guys are having trouble getting going. So I, I could see where you guys are coming from. I, I just don't think that this Georgia team yet is – you know, at the very beginning of the season is is top-notch SEC football. Like, it would scare me more if the Ducks were going up against Alabama. I think this Georgia team's retooling quite a bit, so they have some things to figure out. Yeah, it's probably a fair number. But uh, that's why, though, I'm leaning Georgia even, even then is because of that. It's the biggest game of Byron Cardwell's life, Sean Dollar's life. Seven like, McGee. I could see somebody putting it on the turf. You know what I mean? Everyone's the, watching, yeah. Drop pass, gets bopped up in the air, picked off. Now you got 90,000 Georgia fans. I mean, I know it's not that many because ticket allocation for neutral site, but that's what it's going to feel like. Yeah. And I don't know. It's I think it's a fair number right there. So that's the week one line for uh, Oregon. What about for the Beavers, Stephen? Uh, Beavers, Boise State, this is a hell of a football game. Oh, yeah. This is in Corvallis at Regis Stadium right now. Oregon State is three and a half point favorites over the Boise State Broncos. I'm not touching it. Yeah. <laughs> I, have, I have not touched that either. That, I, I don't know, man. And I and I said this before. Just I think they're going to split the games with the, them in Fresno State. I have no good feeling on it because I'm with you. Like 
what are we going to get out of Chance Nolan? It's not going to be great, but it's not going to be terrible. And I know the running is going to be fine, but Boise State always has that offense. Hank ba- uh, Bachmeyer is back at quarterback. Yeah, for He's, like the 11th year. Yeah, but he can sling it around. How's Oregon State defense going to hold up? I, I, that is just an unknown man. And so I'd be more comfortable uh, betting on week two when they play Fresno State knowing the result of this week one game. Yeah, I actually have more questions about Oregon State defensively than offensively. Um, and it's going to be the first full year for Trent Bray as defensive coordinator. And the Beavers are returning a lot of guys that you'll recognize. Uh, obviously, Jaden Grant is back for his fifth or sixth year with the program. And he's a like he's a really good player. I don't know what his NFL prospects are. You know, I know Elijah Molden, who has similar uh, local ties and uh, – uh, West Lynn, right? They went to yeah. they went to school together, and uh, we saw Alex the other day at the golf tournament. And Elijah is one of those players who had just great, great technique, but he's a small guy coming out of U Dub, ends up being a third round pick of the Titans and getting a ton of run last year as a as a nickel corner right out of the gate. Does Jaden Grant have that type of path forward for himself? I don't think so. I think Elijah's a better prospect. Um, and that's probably, you know, why Jaden is, is coming back to play at Oregon State. But you watch some of that, the tape from last year, like Jaden Grant is an incredible player, instinctual player. The interception that he had in the Purdue game, I think they ran, didn't they run like a fake punt and then go down the field and Jaden picked it off? Yeah. Like, and it was crazy looking. Man, he is very instinctual. And what I love about him, too, is his ability to put his nose in there and tackle in the run game. Like, <laughs> Not not that many college cornerbacks are that good of tacklers, and he's a really good one. He forced that fumble at the goal yeah. line. He's a playmaker. In the Utah State game. Yeah, he's absolutely a playmaker. Like That's the best yeah. way to define him, I think, is just a playmaker. Like You don't know how he does it. You don't know how he gets there, how he makes the play, how he's going to catch it, but he does it, and he makes the right play pretty much every time for the Bees. He's so important for that team. I mean, if I had to lean away, Judah, I think I'd go in Boise State plus a three and a half, but I don't feel good about that one at all. Yeah. And who's Boise State's coach? Andy Avalos. He knows he knows what it's like to play yeah. ball here. Sean, uh, what are you thinking, man? Uh, I, I really don't have a feel here. I feel like it's it's two even programs, I wanna say, you know. I, I think they're on they're on kind of in the same the same ballpark uh of kind of trajectories right now. And uh Oregon State's at home and just looking at Boise State's roster, I see that they obviously return some talent, but uh, I, I think it's going to be a super close game. I'd probably go Boise State with the points because that's not to say Oregon State's not going to win the game, but I, I like how you get that extra half point. So if Oregon State wins by three, you know you end up uh, you end up winning your bet. So I, I'd probably go Boise State plus three and a half, but man, that's that's kind of a fifty-fifty game to me. Hank Bachmeyer is only a junior. I could have sworn he was like an eighth-year senior at this point. Well, it's all these real weird COVID rules. Oh, yeah, and... the COVID stuff. Well, the quarterback before Bachmeyer at Boise State, um, he got some NFL run last year. You guys remember? I think with Rippin, the Jets. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Wasn't it Brett Rippon? Yeah, he was the backup He's, for the uh, Jets last year. Mark Rippon's nephew. Started for the Broncos, I believe. Again. Oh, That's Broncos. Right. Sorry, yeah. not the yeah. Jets. The Broncos. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Freaking Broncos. <laughs> well, well, I guess it was not last year. It was two years ago that yeah. they – had to play with Kendall Hinton, right? Oh goodness, wasn't that last year? <laughs> that was the COVID was, year. Yeah, twenty twenty. Yeah, it's the same. Who's the Bronco quarterback now? I have no idea. <laughs> Never heard of this guy. <laughs> Never heard of him. Which, by the way, did you see that Russell Wilson was like a ninety-something rating on Madden? Did you see the Madden quarterback ratings? I don't get these at all. 
Well, yeah, I mean, you just sound like a bitter Seahawks fan right now, Judah. No offense. I am a bitter Seahawks fan, and I wear that like, loudly. By the way, problem. did you see what my ex did today? Yeah, what was up with that? Did you see him in Sierra at the ESPYs? Jeez. Yeah, geez, seriously. No, looks, they... Tom's so miserable. Oh, no, he's an 87. 87. He's an 87. Okay, so that's fair. Brady, 97. Rogers, 96. Bra- okay, Mahomes, I love, 95. I love Tom now. Brady. I love Tom Brady. He is not a 97. He's over Rogers and Mahomes. Josh Allen, no. 92. No. He's over 90. Prescott over Herbert. Come on now. Prescott, 89, and Herbie, 88. Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson. Russell Matt and Stafford. Lamar, 87, and Matt Stafford, 85. I'd put Stafford higher than 85. Brady is like a 93 in my book mm-hmm. at this point of his career. Not a 97. That is way too much goat respect. Like, we're talking pure talent at this point, okay? We're not talking about, you know, who do you want in one game. Like, Brady's yeah. going to be up there, but he's not the I'll most talented, what, most skilled quarterback in the in the league right now. Even though he's he can put up those numbers, like, Rodgers is better, Mahomes is better. Allen is like Never. even with Brady for me, probably. He was and a ninety nine last year, Brady. Brady, like he, that's like just for stupid. Actual, for actual Madden users, like he's not fun to use at all. He can't move. He he can throw the ball, but he's not a fun quarterback to use in the actual. I video haven't game. played an updated Madden game in forever. Have you guys played Madden? Yeah, recently. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. The, the last Madden game I have has uh, Gronk yeah. on the cover. So. I'm an owner of Madden twenty one, so or twenty two. The, the newest one. one. So Xbox or what? What are you PS4. doing? PS four. Man, I'm so behind with this stuff. Maybe we can go hang out at Sean's place and play some Madden over yeah, the weekend. I'm down. All right. We'll go away. We'll come back. Uh, more week one college football lines and uh, more of my Russell Wilson slander coming up on the BFT. Back to the bald Face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Little Tekanina. Welcome back to the BFT. Newbie in for Kanzano on this fine Friday. Ripping through some week one college football lines and having some banner about the matchups along the way. We talked Georgia minus 17 and a half on Oregon. We talked Oregon State minus three and a half at home to Andy Avalos and Boise State. Uh, I would lean Boise plus three and a half at this point, but uh, stay away from me right now. I would lean Georgia minus 17 and a half as well, but I'm sure by the time kickoff <laughs> comes around, I'll be changing my mind in six weeks from now and trying to lay something on the duckies 17 and a half. That's fair. That's fair. I, you know, I feel I feel actually pretty comfortable with the Georgia minus 17 and a half, but the Boise State, Oregon State, I, I have no idea about that one. I really want the Beavers to win that game. Though. I would love I it. I mean, that's... It'd be really hard to lose that game, and then now you have to go on the road. Fresno State, I put it in, should win. But yeah. then it becomes like, I really need to win. Because yeah. if you lose Boise, you lose Fresno, you just went 0 for 3 in a row against the Mountain West, dating back to the Utah State game. It's yeah. like, you can't have that. Like, and I don't think that will happen. I, I think you're right, Stephen. I think it's fair to expect a split of the two openers out of the gate for the Beavers, but maybe 2-0. Yeah, I, I, I think at worst-case scenario, that's what I should have said, worst-case scenario should be a split, right? I think you're right. It, they could get both, and that would be awesome. But if they end up losing both those games, it's going to be an uphill battle for sure just to get to six in a bowl game. Yeah, they they can't lose both. I, I, I agree with the split thing, though. Like, 
you know, between Boise State and Fresno State, you would you would think uh, a split is in the cards. Although it would be a shame if the the Beavers beat Boise State and then they go on the road to Fresno State and they lose. But yeah. is Fresno State supposed to be good this year? Like they were really good last year. I don't, I don't think they have the caliber of team this year, considering they lost their. They still have Jake Hayner. No, he transferred to Washington. <laughs> But then I thought he transferred back. Oh, did he really? Yeah, did I miss yeah. that? Oh shoot! No, I think he's staying. He is staying. Okay, darn! I thought that uh, I thought he transferred up to Washington because Washington's going to uh, roll with the uh, Penix. Penix. Penix or Sam Heward? Yeah, Boy, they've been waiting on Sam Heward for a decade. It feels like. Yeah, it does look like you are right, Sean. Jake Hayner is oh, Jake back. Oh, back. Well, my gosh. Yeah, I could see that. So one and one. Yeah, yeah I so agree. He, I think they're going to split. He was just named Mountain West preseason offensive player of the year. Okay. So that again, that will be a tough matchup. I for take Oregon it back. State, yeah, right? that's a that's a toss up game for me now. That's no longer a should win. Yeah. That team almost beat Oregon, and then they beat UCLA on the road. That was a oh yeah. Hayner went, went crazy. He yeah. was like injured in the second half and still gutting out a win. First play of the game. Kayvon Thibodeau just destroyed Jake Hayner, and the Ducks received the – they returned the fumble to, like, the five-yard line, and then uh, he got hurt, Kayvon, in that game. Right. Like uh, on the next drive, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. That's tough. I think Oregon, though, even without Kayvon, their D-line is going to be pretty good. I think because of Tosh as well, Tosh Lupoy, the defensive coordinator, who's a great recruiter, but – you know, he's been coaching D-line in the NFL the last few years, too. I think Brandon Dorless mm-hmm. is in for a big year. You know, they got a transfer from Washington mm-hmm. to play on the interior. I think he's going to be good. And uh, Popo Amuvai, he's still there. He was like a second-teamer. Or I think he was an honorable mention last year. He'll be a good player. So, I don't know. Obviously, you know, it's, it's probably going to be some kind of like 3-4 type of defense. And uh, so we'll see what kind of, you know, the outside linebackers bring to the table there. Um, but I think it'll be a good defensive line for Oregon. Looking forward to that. Um, elsewhere, other week one lines, other Pac-12 schools rolling along. What is Chip Kelly and UCLA doing in their opener? I, oh, Bowling Green. Yeah. 11.30 a.m. Pac-12 Network. Do you have a number on that? I do. That's uh, UCLA minus 25 and a half at the Rose Bowl. And that place is going to be packed. Yeah. Popping September 3rd at 11.30 in the morning. They're going to be psyched. They're, they're psyched for the Big Ten move. They're you know what? Flat spot. Give me Bowling Green. <laughs> Bowling Green was, I believe, one of the worst teams last season. But, yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, <laughs> that's so many points. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Who knows? All right. Um, elsewhere, Arizona, I'm seeing. Yes. At Ooh, San Diego State. Arizona at Brady Hoke in San Diego State. That's an Aztecs win. San Diego State, you know, one of those teams that – it's kind of been rumored to say, you know, if the Pac-12 wants to expand, get it San Diego State. Uh, right now, San Diego State, five-point favorites at home against Arizona. Yeah, that makes sense. I think Arizona is going to be better than people think. Isn't yeah. their win total like two and a half? Yeah. I would take the over. And Jaden Delora is that quarterback now, former Washington State quarterback. Oh, that's right. Weird. Yeah. But um, what's the face of the, the coach? Fish? Jed Fish? Fish. Jed Fish. I think he actually... You know, I think he'll be okay there. I think he knows what he's doing. I think he knows what he's doing. As weird as that is to say, because I don't want to give him too much credit, but I think uh, I think he's building something there. Some of the guys they're recruiting are like pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, Um, one of the they got a five situation. Yeah, McMillan, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ted Arroyo, McMillan. I thought he was going to be a duck, Mm -hmm. and then I look up, he's going to play for Jed Fish. I'm like, what? I was like, okay, they must have some kind of nil. 
deal going. Is Jeremy Pruitt an assistant there? Hey, all. <laughs> That's the best excuse now is the NIL. Oh, I didn't go to my school. NIL. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Arizona. Yeah, Arizona, you are right. Two and a half wins is the two, uh, is the win total. Over is juiced heavily. Uh, minus one and a half. Or yeah. minus 150, I'm sorry. See, I'm dialed in. Yeah. All the stuff I like is juiced. That's what Vegas is on to me. They're on. Arizona, San Diego State. I, phew. Yeah, I'd lean. Yeah, the the latest I saw today is San Diego State and Fresno State could be the Pac-12 targets. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. Makes... The Fresno is weird because I mean, if you think of it, just in TV markets, we already yeah. got the Bay Area. Yeah. So I think San Diego is a smart one. Uh, yeah, that's a smart one. And they got good programs. They're very. Uh, I believe it's a very good school, as in academic wise as well. So I think they're mm. good in well. I'm way. more attracted to Boise State and UNLV than Fresno State. Yeah, but from a program standpoint, but Boise, no yeah. one, that's not a TV. No well, one watches UNLV? it. UNLV, I guess you could say the Vegas, you know, TV market. Get Marcus Arroyo in the conference. Dude. It's the punching we're, bag. We were talking about differences from Cristobal's first year to Lanning's first year running a program. <laughs> <laughs> And the offense coordinator. Look, I, I'm already putting Dillingham as better than Marcus Arroyo. Mm-hmm. Can't be worse. I know. Justin Herbert was a still... third team All Pac-12 his his peak year. Honorable mention All Pac-12. He's only put up like the best stats ever for the first two years of a quarterback in the NFL. That's a hard thing for me to swallow. Keaton Slovis and Washington State's quarterback. Um, what's his name? Brent Gordon. Those two were were higher than him. His senior year. That's what Marcus Arroyo Oh, Gardner Minshew? Was it Gardner Minshew? No, it was the year after that, oh. and it was uh, Gordon. I'm trying to remember Gordon's name. Gordon was his last name. <laughs> I just want to say Aaron. <laughs> I know. That's Aaron Gordon. Wow, what a great player he was. Um, no, that was... Oh, the thing with Arroyo. They still end up winning a Rose Bowl going 12-2 and with Marcus Arroyo. <laughs> Shows how good it's like you just yeah. you know that shows how good Herbert was. Frankly, three rushing touchdowns, right? Yeah. They finally let him run the ball. That was the huge thing. He finally started running the ball in the Pac-12 title game and the uh, the Rose Bowl. He hadn't run the ball really much all season, and uh, they finally uh, let him go. So. One of my favorite storylines going into this college football season is how Mario Cristobal is going to utilize Tyler Van Dyke. Because Tyler Van Dyke is supposed to be like a really good quarterback, but if he flops, if he's not anything this season, it's going to be pretty funny to make fun of Mario Cristobal for his his lack of skill developing a quarterback. So I'm fascinated to see how Van Dyke does. So I watched a lot of Mario Cristobal this week at ACC Media Days. Our Duck fans, do we have closure? Are you rooting for Mario Cristobal at Miami? Not like vociferously but like are you pulling for him because everyone rooted against taggart oh yeah i mean yeah that was so dirty 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 it was like your duck fans favorite teams oregon and then whoever's playing florida state those are your favorite teams yeah no and that was fun as hell yeah when there was a tailspin and then a little heartbreaking because you knew like the guy wanted one thing in life and that was to coach Florida State, (laughs) and they sucked i'm not gonna be rooting for mario cristobal are you rooting against him yeah, I'll be rooting against Miami. I'll be rooting against Miami. I will be. I'm kind of, I'm kind of hoping they're good. I think they'll be good. I think they will be, and I think they're going to be uh, consistent with, uh, with the off season they've had and the trajectory they're on. Like, I think they're going to be a good program. 
but that's gonna be uh that's gonna be the reason that I'm gonna be rooting against them. Like I don't know. I'm gonna be rooting like the USC, Texas, Texas A and M, Miami's like they feel like programs that have been kind of artificially built this offseason with NIL and transfer portal. That's I, I Miami's kind of in that category. You're twenty three and you're just an old school red ass. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, 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 I kind of feel from a duck fan where Phil Knight binds everything too. Yeah. Well, it's, this has <laughs> yeah, been a long exactly, time coming. Yeah, exactly. Oregon's been building this thing for a while. Miami's been dysfunctional. Miami literally was flirting with Mario Cristobal while they had a head coach in Manny Diaz. And that's dysfunction at its finest. It was and yet they're going to be they're a yes. top 10 program all of a sudden. I, yeah. I just They're not a team I'll be rooting for. Yeah. That's Mario Cristobal seems like a good guy, though. Well, you would know him. I mean, we we all covered him. He right. is, he, I think you could say he's a I good guy. I think he handled, for the most part, his departure with class. The fact that he was on the show, I thought, you was, know, I remember listening to that interview. That who, was that who was, does that? That was sweet. That was sweet. But at the same time, you know, he he kept it hidden for a while, and you know, they played that Utah game. Obviously, it was already kind of a done deal. He, it, the media, he, he didn't handle it great with the media. So there was there was parts that I thought he didn't he didn't do the best. So we we talked about him retiring the turnover chain yesterday. Um, the ACC is also scrapping the division system, not this year but next year, and uh, going into like three different pods of five. I think they're doing. Um, which is kind of weird, but Cristobal was asked about that and he kind of compared it to, uh, what he just came from with Oregon. He was like, look, man, like winning the North meant something when we were at Oregon. This is Cristobal. Well, it seems like an effective, uh, a potentially effective model when they run the numbers. It seems like over the years, there's that much difference of what would have been a division model versus a non-division model. Um, you know, it's where I've just been spent five years at a place where you had to win your division before you advanced. And it meant a lot, you know, it meant a lot to programs. So that adjustment and what it means, I'm not sure yet. It seems like the results for the most part end up being the same. So uh, I think, uh, you know, that'll have to run its course and take a, a couple year cohort to figure out exactly, all right, how does that really impact what we're trying to do? And it's just interesting that he's like, look, like winning the North meant something. That was our first goal every single year was to win the North. And, uh, just trying to think off the top of my head, you didn't win it in 18, but you won it in 19. You technically <laughs> somehow won it in 20. Uh, you know, won it last year. Good for you, Husky fans. And then you won it last year. Somehow won the North again last year. So they won it just about every year, uh, except for one, that Cristobal was the head coach here. Five years of Dan Lanning, do you think? I mean, that's four years for Cristobal as a head coach and then one year as an assistant, but... If you give me five years of Dan Lanning, how how often is Oregon winning the North? Well, it's different now, right? Because winning the North doesn't mean as much because yeah. it's the top two teams in the championship. It doesn't, game. yeah, it doesn't. But and for the next five frankly, years, who knows what, if the Pac-12 is going to be a thing here? <laughs> yeah, pretty soon. Yeah, I think next four out of the next five years, Oregon will be the best team in the Pac-12 North based on the other programs. I I'd give Dan Lanning that for sure. Kick that around a little bit more. Coming up in a moment on the BFT. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Speaking of video game soundtracks, who's got it? They reminisce over you. Yes. It's a great song. 
Which game? Oh, I know the song. I don't know which oh, really? game this is from. Yeah. Oh man, I didn't. I would have no idea what this song is. Oh, if it's it, a classic hip hop song. All I know, I know it's from a game. I can't think of what it is. Oh, it's NBA Street Volume Two. That's right. V Two NBA Street. Classic this, this song. Is a, this is a classic song. Yeah, yeah. I took a hip hop history class, and uh, this was one I learned. Uh, yeah, I learned all about like, okay. classic no, songs. <laughs> what? This what? is definitely a classic. Yeah. <laughs> What's hip hop at Oregon like? Uh, hip hop at Oregon. Like, what Wait, do you mean? Did you take the class at Oregon? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. It was yeah. a hip hop history. It was awesome. What was that uh, class like? Oh, it was just like every week. Like we started in like the 1950s, and you know we learned about like the origins of hip hop, and then every week we kind of got further and further and it took us into modern hip-hop so. did you have to freestyle rap in no. front of the class at any point that's no. your grade never had to do Based that how good it is it if was... you had to how would you do oh i couldn't rap man i i, I would I... let you write it out beforehand i would give you like an hour to write out whatever you need yeah then like it uh, i could write like a decent rap but like me performing it would be the cringiest <laughs> thing ever how many bars could you get yeah, how yeah. Many, I, how many if, bars? You give, if you give me do an you hour, even rap, bro. <laughs> bars. You give do me you an hour, I'll, I'll come up with a verse. But it's Friday. It's gonna be the cringiest thing. It's Friday. You got to give me four bars. Four bar Friday. I'm not, you you got to give me four bars. Dame Dalla. Come on. Like, do you guys? Do you guys listen to Dame Dalla? Uh, yeah. No. A little bit. A couple songs. A couple songs that I, I like from him. Yeah. Yeah. He's not really my 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 uh my genre. All right. Coming up next hour. Final hour. It's rule. B F F T. From the Pack West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano. Here's Judah Newby with the bald faced truth. Man, we got a lot to get done this hour. We got the five at five. I didn't play Punch It Audio yesterday, so I'm assuming there's some audio to play in Punch It Audio. Where uh, I've got some more audio from Media Days earlier this week that I didn't get to yesterday that I want to get to today. I want to talk about the manas a little bit. Uh, we still have more week one college football lines because we've gotten through like four games. We didn't even touch on the second biggest Pac-12 game. Which is? Utah at Florida. Oh, yeah. We got to get to that. Oh, Utah's like a short road favorite, aren't they? They are. Man, that tells you something about Florida. Their opener in the swamp. <laughs> Against a non-SEC team and brand their new coach. underdogs. Yeah, brand new coach, Billy Napier. Anthony Richardson, I think, their quarterback. Yeah, that's good. We'll talk about that one. But first, we got to do the five at five. Five big things you got to know. The five at five. Man, now that Vince McMahon's retiring, I, I don't think I can watch the WWE anymore. It's just totally going to change it for me. Tongue-in-cheek. I never was watching WWE, but... This is notable. I mean, Vince McMahon's synonymous with professional wrestling. 76 years old. Announced that uh, he is retiring. Didn't he? I thought he said he was 77 in his tweet. In his tweet, he said at 77. At 77. But this ESPN story says he's 76. Uh, inflation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's rounding up. In a news release, the 76-year-old McMahon announced that his daughter, Stephanie, and current WWE president, Nick Khan. Is Nick Khan related to Shad Khan? Anybody know? Gotta be. And Shaka. Shaka Khan? 
Shaka Khan. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's actually Shaka Khan. I missed that one. That first good one. <laughs> They'll be taking over as CEOs. Stephanie has been acting as interim CEO, and uh, she will also take over as chairwoman. So apparently this announcement comes as a major surprise. McMahon's retirement represents a massive shift in the world of professional wrestling. He's been a fixture since buying WWE from his father in the 1980s. He built it into a billion-dollar brand with worldwide reach. On June 17th, McMahon stepped down from his role as chairman and CEO in the wake of a Wall Street Journal report that revealed a board investigation into a secret $3 million settlement given by McMahon to a former WWE paralegal. So I remember that story came out like a month ago or so, and then... So he stepped down as chairman. Now he's just straight up retiring. Yeah, there's been numerous uh, allegations going on after that Wall Street Journal article. So, yeah, I mean, it wasn't like it it was kind of seen that this could happen just because of all the allegations. But, yeah, he's made it official now. This kind of, you know, hot water that he's in, like, I don't want to make light of it. That's one of the least surprising things ever. (laughs) A guy of his stature and his power in that kind of a sport, like getting in trouble for stuff like that paying $3 million settlements. It's like, color me absolutely not shocked at all. Yeah, as a kid who watched uh, WWE, when it was WWF back in the 90s, Attitude Era, I mean, they had uh, they did some raunchy things. And, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's not surprising that behind the scenes they were doing even raunchier things. Uh, so, of the three of us, you were the only one that watched pro wrestling. And, look, I'm not going to, you know, bag on it because I know a lot of our listening audience, uh, you know, has – some fandom of pro wrestling even though i understand exactly none of that except for a twitter clip every now and then that can be funny yeah there's a twitter account 90s uh wwe which is really funny to yeah because that's when i watched it there's a lot of a lot of things you could not do today that's for sure interesting so vince mcmahon retiring major shift in the world of professional wrestling you're welcome Number two, the NCAA has charged Tennessee football with 18 level one alleged rule violations, the most severe under its rules for impermissible recruiting benefits that totaled about 60 grand paid to prospects and players under former coach Jeremy Pruitt. Among other allegations, Jeremy Pruitt is accused of providing about $9,000 to the mothers of two prospects. His wife, Casey, is accused of making 25 cash payments, totaling about $12,500 to help a prospect's mother make her car payment. Tennessee, of course, fired Jeremy Pruitt in January 2021 after its own internal investigation into the allegations. And uh, Pruitt issued a response to ESPN today saying quote a lot of this information in the ncaa's report i'm seeing for the first time and still reading through it (laughs) of course i'd rather not comment a whole lot past that other than to say that i'm looking forward to telling my side of the story somewhere down the road well you might get that chance look part of me wants to say hey what is the ncaa doing like they don't they've never had teeth with this stuff for a long time we still have no clue where arizona state's situation is with the NCAA. Mark Emmert is leaving next July, finally, but it can't come soon enough. We have no idea what kind of oversight they have with NIL at this point. But in the meantime, 
Here's 18 level one violations for a coach who's been fired already over a year ago. Is there a college football program, more of a college football program that does less with more than Tennessee? <laughs> they seriously haven't been good in forever. And anytime there's any semblance of, oh, they're getting it back on track, this happens. Yeah. Well, I mean, and this is the thing, like they, Jeremy Pruitt's no longer there, but now is the, uh, and I'm blanking on the, the coach who's there now. But, Josh Heupel. Oh, yeah. UCF? Yep. Former Oklahoma quarterback. And he came over, and he was year one last year. Yes. And now yeah. trying to keep building on it. They were solid. They had a solid season last year. My thing is, though, is like, so what's is what are the penalties going to be? And does the NCAA have justification to give penalties at this point? Like, that, and thing. when is it going to happen? And... Man, I just don't understand. There's no congruency with anything the NCAA does anymore. This, to me, is just more egg on the face of Jeremy Pruitt, but I kind of knew that already. Yeah, it's, I hate when they you know come up with these allegations and they get them, but then they retroactively punish the kids that are there now that had nothing to do with it, the coaching staff that is there now. You know, so, like, yeah, it's fine to punish Jeremy Pruitt, but don't punish the kids that are already at Tennessee now that, haven't, that weren't even a part of that program. You should have a chance to, like, raise NIL money like to pay off your fines for recruiting or something like that go fund me yeah like of course oregon would never get in trouble for anything like this of oh, course <laughs> but if they did and it's like oh yeah willie lyles exactly i'd just leave it up to division street be like hey instead of paying recruits nil deals we're just paying off debts we're reorganizing our debt chapter 11. <laughs> All right, number three in the five at five, Kyle Lewis back for the Mariners. He'll be in the lineup hitting seventh, playing right field. He's been out since the end of May when he was hit in the head with a pitch from Jose Arquiti of the Astros. Turns out Jose Arquiti is on the mound tonight for the Astros. Astros and Mariners. Mariners, 14-game win streak, trying to go 15 in a row, match their franchise record, set in 2001. 2001, Ichiro was a rookie. He would also end up being MVP. The Mariners would also host the All-Star Game in 2001. Tonight, they're going to unveil the logo for the All-Star Game next year, which they will host. Seattle, 2023. You guys Mariners fans? Baseball fans here? I'm, uh, I've am i definitely hopped onto the Mariners bandwagon. Nice. Again, I don't really have a team. Mariners are definitely my team that I've always had, but I'm not like a huge diehard fan. But, I mean, right now, I'm, I'm hopping on board. 14-game winning streak, give it to me. Not a Mariners fan, not a baseball fan, but I'm rooting for them from, yeah. like, you know, the outside. The, you know, it, it's a cool story that they're doing right now, and I hope that they keep this winning streak going, and I hope that they can make the playoffs. Right now, they have the uh, second wild card. Yeah. They have a one-game lead on Toronto, I believe. And the first wild card is Tampa, I want to say. Tampa, yeah. And they're up by a half game on Seattle. So Seattle is, I mean, how cool would it be if they hosted the wild card this year? I mean, postseason baseball in Seattle hasn't been there since 2001. Like you said, the 116 wins that they had that season. So, I mean, I would be psyched. That would be awesome. That was a fun, fun team. Soto Mojo. Could have happened. Could Juan Soto to the Mariners happen? Oh. I'll have to give yeah. up a lot, but it'd probably be worth it. The guy's only 23. Yeah, give that to me all day. Although they did pay huge money for Robinson Cano a few years ago. That worked out not so much. Juan Soto is going to be, you know. Yeah, it's a little different. He's a, a different, uh, different tier player, that's for sure.
All right, number four in the five at five. Sean Watson has reported to Cleveland Browns camp already as they are getting ready to uh, to start training camp. Watson, along with Cleveland's other quarterbacks and team rookies, arrived at the Browns training facility in preparation for training camp. Training camp begins Wednesday. Watson is still waiting to hear what uh, his status is going to be from the NFL. They're still got to wrap this up. Although, frankly, I'm okay with the NFL dragging this out because it makes it tough on Cleveland. And anything to make it tough on Cleveland, I'm fine with. I would wait all the way up until, like, the eve of the first game. And then, and then give them the whole year. Saturday before the week one. Saturday before week one, and then suspend them for the year. Like, that's what I hope happens with Deshaun Watson. Surprise, Brown fans. You're stuck with Josh Rosen for the season. Deshaun, yeah. They'd probably have uh, Brissett and uh, and Rosen. And be like, that's what you get for giving a guy like Deshaun Watson that much fully guaranteed money. Yeah, like, I'm screw rooting, you guys. I'm rooting you against them this year, heavily. Which and is too I, bad, because I, I, love, the Browns, I love Stefanski. Yeah. I love that defense. It's going to be a good defense. It's probably going to be a good team, especially with Deshaun. But I hope they wait till the day before the season and then suspend him for the year. And then uh, the fifth at the five at five. Let's see here. Oh, Noah Lyles ran in the 200 meters yesterday. World Championships down in Eugene. And uh, it was a big moment. Noah Lyles ends up running 19.31 seconds and breaks Michael Johnson's United States record for the 200-meter sprint. And, uh, you know, there were some viral clips that went on social media. It was really cool. I said on yesterday's show that I'm kind of casually following the World Championships, and unfortunately at this point my number one memory is the Devin Allen situation. But what last night's... You know, what what happened last night with uh, Noah Lyles, 25 years old. A guy I don't know a ton about, but I was reading a little bit more of his backstory, and it's pretty interesting. Uh, for him to set a, an American record in the 200, that's my new top memory for the World Championships. And that means something. You know, I'd rather remember something positive like that than the Devin Allen foible. But Sean McPherson, you're our resident track and field guy. Uh, contextualized for us just how big that was. Noah Lyles, 19.31 seconds. Third fastest time in history overall and fastest time for an American. Yeah, Noah Lyles is a, is a great face for the sport. He is not only extremely talented and extremely successful, it's the second world championship, and young, he's 25, but he has just such a personality and charisma uh, about him. And, uh, you know, just the, the, the pre-race stuff and the, the post-race celebrations, he's always just so good on camera. So, I was super happy for him. I was uh, I was looking for a little bit of a better performance from Knighton, who uh, Arian Knighton. He's an 18-year-old sensation. He's basically broken all of Usain Bolt's uh, records. He's the next big thing in not only U.S. sprinting but really all of sprinting. He's he's an anomaly. Uh, just how good he is at 18. He ended up getting bronze, but that was an awesome race. I was super ha- happy for Lyles and man for the U.S. to be able to go one, two, three in the 100 and the 200. Two of the marquee events in the sport with six different athletes is is incredible. Jamaica did it as well. Uh, Jamaica had similar success in the the sprints, but they have the same athletes. You know, like it's the same girls that are doing it on the female side. But uh, America, they're having crazy success in the sprints, and it's with all sorts of different people. How much of that is 
the, the U.S. is just that good. Is Jamaica down a little bit? Like yeah. with their sprinting? Like, yeah, Jamaica doesn't really have any players right now. Ever since weird. Bolt. Yeah, so they have, I mean, Johan Blake is still around. He was always kind of second fiddle to uh, to Bolt. But, yeah, they, they really don't have much going on right now, and there's not really anyone else to, to break it up. So America is just having a ton of success. So when I was a kid, there was uh, a book that my parents got me that really kind of, you know, I always wanted to go into broadcasting somehow, but it was uh, two different books. It was One was called And the Crowd Goes Wild, and the other one was called And the Fans Roared. And it was like a picture book taking you through some of the biggest moments in sports history, but it came with audio CDs narrated by Bob Costas and including the broadcasting calls of these top moments. One of them was Michael Johnson, 96, 100, 200 meters, um, and 400, no? Or was it just those two? 400, 200. 400 and 200. Yeah, those, that was his thing. Gold spikes and the audio calls of both of those. And uh, I think he set a world record, like destroyed the world record in, uh, I want to say both events, but I think the 200 at the time as well. Um, and ran 19.32 seconds in the yeah. 200. And what I didn't realize, because I don't really follow track and field inside and out, but um, that 19.32 seconds for the 200 like has stood for a while as the best American mark. You know, me over here, kind of ignorant, I would have thought that at this point with technology being what it is, whether it's equipment or training or otherwise, somebody, you know, I feel like new records are being set every year. And what I learned last night was that is a big number for that event. And people have been trying to beat 19.32 for 26 years. And for the Americans and Usain Bolt, apparently, because he's, you know, is he the greatest sprinter ever? Yeah. In yeah, the yeah. history of the game, right? He still has the 100 and 200 world record. 1919. 1919, he ran in uh, 2009, I believe. Yeah. Not Lyles in is in the neighborhood now. Lyles is in that neighborhood. <clears throat> but now Lyles went. And what I don't get either is, and maybe you can help me understand this, like, how do they figure out the official time? Because he ran 19.32 last night. Like, that, the original number was 19.32. He finishes his race. He looks at the clock. He's like, come on, you can't give me 19.32. I'm not sharing this record with Michael Johnson. Like, change it, change it, change it. And then he looks away for a split second, and it changes to the official 19.31. How does that happen? How can they change the the clock? It felt a little bit bit strange the way that happened. But, yeah, that's pretty common in track and field, the fact that you, you cross the finish line and it gives you one time, and then they go to the computers and they make it a little bit more exact. Um, and it takes a couple of seconds to do that. Like in the 400 hurdles, uh, they, they had third and fourth place wrong. So sometimes, and, and then it ended up switching and an American ended up getting bronze in the 400 hurdles. So sometimes the computer is like, it's, it's unofficial when they first cross the line and then they really, you know, the computers figure it out for a couple of seconds and then you get more official results. If that makes sense. So it's not shady at all. It's not shady. It, it felt shady. Just, uh, you know, it felt shady because of the fact that it was 19.32, American record, and it's like, all right, we're going we're gonna to move it. But even Michael Johnson was happy for him. So. How do they figure out lane positions? Because I saw, like, question. that Knighton guy that you're talking he about. He kind of got screwed, right? Like, He's... he goes in lane three, and I'm hearing Otto Bolden 
who I think does a great job. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I, yeah I, the, any big time track event is probably Otto Bolden saying yeah, something. And it's always some. And awesome... he's like, yeah, and he's like Arian Knight. And, oh, he got a bad deal. You know, he's running out of lane three, which is gonna be tough. I'm like. I, that kind of sucks. Like, how does that happen? Like, if Lyles goes in lane three, he probably's not breaking the record, right? Probably, yeah. Uh, it's so there is a big queue and there's a little queue. So if you qualify in the uh, the semifinals based on your placing, so like if you won your semifinal race, you get a big queue. But then there's others that get a little queue, um, which is also they qualified for the final, but they did it off their time, so they maybe got third in the semifinal, but they ran a fast enough time where they were one of the last spots. So. What they do at these world championships is everyone that has a big queue, it's basically uh, randomized. And then Lyles happened to get six off that. Knighton, both of them had big queues, and Knighton ended up getting in lane three. So he was kind of the one chasing them down and running. You know, it's not more distance, but uh, it's it's just kind of it's more of a curve when you're in lane three versus right. lane six. It's less of a curve. So everyone that had a big queue was completely randomized. So Lyles just kind of got luckier. Wow. Well. I bring up that moment, and I have audio from uh, from the race that uh, we might reset a little bit later. But um, it was hard not to be happy for him, and and like you know, people were tweeting all about it yesterday. The reaction of his family, uh, of Noah Lyles' family, that was sitting right there, was pretty cool too. And they they were losing their minds after it went down to nineteen point three one. Michael Johnson is in Eugene himself, like you mentioned, Sean. Michael Johnson's there. He's announcing it. Is he really? Yeah, for uh, BBC. That's like so British. cool. Yeah, yeah. And, like, he went down and was, like, celebrating with Noah Lyles. And, like, that's a big deal. 19.31, new American record, third fastest time ever. Usain Bolt still has the record, and then I think Johan Blake has the second fastest time in that event. And then it's this guy, Noah Lyles. And, uh, man, that's cool. And the fact that all of this can happen at Hayward Field, like, this, these are the moments we were looking forward to, right? And this is now replaces the Devin Allen you know, snafu as my number one memory from this event so far. And that's a good thing. It's worth celebrating, I think, at this point. All right, we'll go away. We'll come back. Uh, we'll play a little punch audio, talk a little bit more week one college football as well on the BFT. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Hour on a Friday, rolling along. Judah Newby in for John Canzano. JC will be back on Monday and a big week of shows leading up to Media Day from Los Angeles next Friday. JC will be live from LA and uh, there'll be some great content. There'll be Chip, there'll be Lincoln Riley. I don't know if there'll be Mike Bone. In fact, I saw John Canzano's column this morning that landed right into my inbox. Courtesy JohnCanzano.com. Uh, I don't think Mike Bone and Martin Germond are going to be invited to the closed doors athletic director meetings that are supposed to happen during media day as well. So, as you know, with everybody down there, typically George Kleofkoff or the commissioner and the other Pac-12 ADs get together. They talk about stuff they need to talk about, closed door meetings, right? I don't think Mike Bone's invited. I don't think Martin Germond's invited. There's bad blood, there's friction, there's tension going on between uh, the rest of the Pac-12 leadership and the, those schools and uh, the people running those schools at USC and UCLA. And there should be, you know? 
I want to like Martin Jarman, and I don't know how much of a role he himself played in UCLA getting to the Big Ten because it sure as heck feels like they're just riding USC's coattails. Um, but he had some kind of role of a role, and uh, you know he's going to say he's acting in the best interest of his university. But man, these next two years are going to be weird because no one likes USC and UCLA right now, and yet we still have to operate in the same conference somehow for two more years. So. Uh, that'll be something to keep an eye on, but needless to say, we're really excited for Media Day next Friday, <laughs> and uh, you'll hear everything right here on the BFT with John Gonzano. Let's play a little Punch It audio. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. So I just saw this floating around the socials, and, you know, Jerry West, not afraid to speak his mind on things, especially when he feels slighted or hard done by. And uh, he's got a clip going around now that's uh, from Sirius XM Radio. The host asked him, and I don't know who the host is actually, but it sounds like a former player that uh, asked Jerry West about J.J. Reddick's comments that Bob Cousy played against plumbers and firemen, (laughs) which is a great line. And uh, predictably, Jerry... Well, didn't take it too kindly. Here's the interaction. Punch it. J.J. Reddick, a current player who just recently retired, said that Bob Cousy played against uh, firemen and, and plumbers, and Bob came on and, and wasn't too pleased. And, you know, you, you played in that era, and those guys set the table for us uh, to be where we are today. And I was just interested in your thoughts on, on comments like that about your generation and the generations that, that paved the way. Well, um, obviously the game is completely different. The athletes are completely different. And I know J.J. Uh, just a little bit. He's a very smart kid and everything. But tell me what his career looked like. What did he do that was that determined games? He averaged, what, he averaged 12 points a game in the league? Um, somewhere along the way, numbers count. At that point in time, the players aren't what they used to be. Um, JJ certainly wasn't going to guard the elite players. <laughs> so he goes further in that clip, but he he basically says it was disrespectful of JJ Reddick to make that comment about Bob Cousy. Steven, was it disrespectful? I think it's a little disrespectful because, yeah. JJ's right in that if you literally transported athletes from today back to the 50s, 60s, 70s, they would be looked at as aliens, right? Like, there's nothing like them right now. Don't but, tell Jerry West that. But at the same time, if you transported guys that were from that era to era, this era now, they would be completely different as well. I think a good player back in the 70s would be a good player right now. It's just the just the knowledge of all the things the doctors have found out, all the athleticism that has been brought out. It's completely there. It's so hard to compare legacies uh, between years. But I do think that if you any good player that has ever been good in the NBA, their game would translate to any era. That's so I think I think so I think Jerry West is right for calling JJ Reddick or saying he's wrong for saying that because it is disrespectful. Yeah. I don't know if JJ regrets what he said, but I do find it interesting. He's doing so much more media now 
obviously he does the old man and the three, which is like the third different iteration of a podcast that he's done. Yeah. Obviously he's not playing anymore either. I'm a big JJ Reddick fan. I've listened to his podcast for a long time. I don't listen as much anymore, but I used to listen to it a lot, especially when it was uh, with the vertical back in the day <laughs> with Woj's Yahoo platform. It was great. I learned a ton. And he had, he had some really good interviews. His Aaron Rodgers interview was really good. He had an interview with Jason Day, the golfer, that I thought was excellent. And uh, I wonder, though, if, you know, he made these comments not in his podcast, but on first take. Right. Which, that's a different attitude. You know, when you go on a platform like that, I don't know if he regrets saying what he said, but it, it certainly has caused a lot of, you know, friction. And frankly... Jerry West, this is a predictable reaction right. from a guy like Jerry West, though. And, it, and it's understandable, and it's always like that. Like, the old-timers hate the new time. The new time hates the old time. Like, that's all it has yeah. always been like that. It always will be. So there's always going to be friction between those type of things. But it is disrespect, disrespectful to say that, you know, you played against plumbers and firemen and that they weren't <laughs> any good. Like, it's a funny line. It it's really pretty, is. It's a great line. But, like, to say that, it's like, no, these guys were still Hall of Fame players. They were really good for their generation. It's just you can't compare 1974 to 2022. Yeah. Uh, We just talked about this moment at the World Championships. Took place last night. Noah Lyles, 200 meters, sets a new U.S. record. Here's how it sounded. Bunch it. There's a world final on the line in the 200 meters. And Knighton is making up ground, but Noah Lyles has run another great turn. And if he has the lead, you got to like his chances. Look at the way that Noah Lyles came into the home straight. Now Arian Knighton's trying to catch Kenny Benerick. Here comes Fonbaland. It's Noah Lyles, 19.32. He ties Michael Johnson's 19.96 record. The American record is tied. We're waiting for the official time. Has Noah Lyles just... Equaled Michael Johnson's 1996 American record. It's the fourth. Fa- it's better. Noah Lyles has just broken the American record in the 200. And it's a USA sweep. 19:31 is the time. Breaking a 26-year record. That's pretty cool. So Noah Lyles, 19.31, breaks Michael Johnson's 1996 Atlanta mark. It's my new favorite moment from the World Championships. Sean, you're going this weekend. Yeah. I'm very excited. What's going on on Sunday? That's the day you're going, right? Yeah, I get to watch the men's 5,000, which uh, I like the distance events actually the most. So I'm super excited about that. And I get to see the 4x400 relays, which will be awesome. But Noah Lyles is actually competing in the 4x100, so he's not done at these world championships. And on a non-Noah Lyles note, I guarantee you there's a world record tonight by uh, Sydney McLaughlin. Oh, Sydney McLaughlin. She's going to smash the world record. Yeah, I remember her. From uh, Rio, actually. I'm pretty sure she debuted at Rio, right? Yeah. What does she run in the 400? 400 hurdles. 400 hurdles? She keeps Dude, every, time she runs, every time she runs, every time she runs, she uh, she breaks her own world record. So, going to happen tonight. All right. Is it on NBC or where is it? USA, USA Network? Network. Should be on NBC. Should be. Should Why be. is it not on NBC? The sport needs to do a better job with uh, 
with marketing itself and TV it's rights. Been, is like one of those on the things. weekends, especially, I feel. It's like. Some nights it's been on ABC, uh, NBC. Some nights it's on, uh, you know, during the weekdays it's been on USA Network. By the way, it was a sweep for the Americans in the 200, like you're saying. Knighton got third. Kenny Benarek yep. got silver. And I think I saw that Benarek broke his toe yeah, yeah. in December or something like that. Like moving a fridge or something, or moving a cabinet, moving a cabinet. He broke his toe, like one of the greatest sprinters in the world. Just moving a cabinet, moving stuff around, broke his toe. Something Couldn't run for a while and ends up coming back and getting silver in the uh, 200. That's pretty funny. You know what? I did. It is unfortunate that the time showed that he tied Michael Johnson's record because the call was so good. And then, was, you know, they announced, oh, he tied it. And then, like, 10 seconds later, like you said, Sean, it's, oh, no, he broke it. Like, right. it would have been such a better call. Yeah. Had they known he broke it right away? Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, he, you know, he gets he gets it in the end. Oh, Jenna Prendini is she's running tonight. We've had yeah, her yeah. on the show. Oh yeah. Yeah, she's been around for a long time. Yeah, she's an Oregon legend. Yeah. She's uh, she's definitely up there in uh, all time greats, track and field. I say that is pretty cool. Like you're driving down I five South, and there's signs, you know, overhead. Where it said, hey, world championships in Eugene, drive, in drive carefully, you know? And, like, that's really cool, you know? I think everybody's getting fired up, and obviously there's only a couple more days left. But I'm glad that there's a new number one favorite moment for me. All right, we'll hit the break and come back. Uh, reset a little bit more college football audio and a couple more week one lines out there as well before Peter Sampson slides in at the top of the hour. More BFT back in a moment. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Okay, what other week one lines do we need to take care of here? Welcome back, BFT Nubian for Canzano. On a Friday, finishing out, JC will be back around on Monday, leading up to Media Day Friday. We knocked out Arizona at San Diego State. San Diego State minus five. We knocked out UCLA as a 25 and a half point favorite against Bowling Green. Give me Bowling Green. Screw the Bruins. <laughs> we knocked out Ducks plus 17 and a half with Georgia. Beavers minus three and a half versus Andy Avalos. And uh, anything others from the Pac-12 yet? Yeah, so the big one is uh, Utah yes. is traveling to Florida, and they are playing at the Swamp, actually at the University of Florida. Utah right now, two-and-a-half-point favorites, minus 115. I'm a little surprised by that, but in these situations, the line should tell you something, mm-hmm. right? Ordinarily, you're like, Utah at Florida, Utah's favored, and it's a true road game. True Utah's road game. favored, and you say, eh. That doesn't feel right. Like, you obviously want to take Florida, but obviously, you know, Florida, first-year head coach, Billy Napier. Anthony Richardson, I think, coming back to be, you know, their quarterback. And I don't know why, but um, Dan Mullen had a hard time just committing to him last year. Like, he did all this juggling with Emory Jones and and Richardson, even though Richardson seemed like just the way more electric player. So we'll see what that means. I don't, you know, whatever Florida has... On defense, I think uh, they had another guy go in the first round this year. With I can't remember 
exactly if they got had a first rounder this year on defense. But then for Utah, Cam Rising is back. We know he's a gamer at quarterback. He's not the most skilled guy in the world, but he's tough and he makes a lot of right decisions. He can run a little bit. Tavian Thomas is back. That guy's a load to bring down. He's a monster junior running back. Um, basically, everybody's back for Utah on that on the offensive side of the ball. Dalton Keithy's back. Three of their five starting offensive linemen are back. Uh, Britton Covey's the only guy that was there for 20 years who yeah. isn't there anymore. He's and finally then gone. Defensively, uh, Devin Lloyd was a first round pick of the Jaguars, and obviously he was a really good player. But Utah being minus two and a half, like that tells me a lot of how much Vegas thinks of Utah this year. They're just going to go and play them as a short road favorite on the road in the swamp. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, for me, I love Anthony Richardson. I'm with you. I don't know why Dan Mullen didn't just commit to him uh, all the time last year. And they Mm. had to really uh, convince him to stay with the new coaching staff. He was going to enter the transfer portal. He was going to leave. And they convinced him to stay. And so, you know, it looks like he's going to be the starting quarterback. I'm with you. It, It says something that it's a true road game and Utah is the favorite and you know a Kyle Whittingham team is going to be tough. They're going to be strong on the inside so it doesn't seem like Florida's going to push them around but I, I'm, I'm kind of leading Florida on the money line this one. I think Florida's going to get it done with Anthony Richardson at quarterback. Man, he's just such an exceptional athlete. I, I think Utah's going to have trouble stopping him especially with losing Devin Lloyd. I think losing the quarterback on defense for Utah is going to be tough. I like Utah the points. I think that even though it's a really tough environment, you don't want to have to go to Florida week one and play in front of that that crowd in that huge stadium i still think that utah's gonna be a better team they are a better team in week one than florida is significantly and i think you know on on one hand on one side it's it's billy napier first game as a head coach uh for florida and then on the other side it's utah who's riding high off after being the pac-12 champions going toe-to-toe uh, with Ohio State, so I think uh, I think Utah gets it done in the swamp. It's not going to be easy, though. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm kind of with you, actually, Sean. On this, I think I think the line tells you something, and I think Utah is favored probably for a reason. But Stephen, your argument is the Florida argument. Anthony Richardson just is that guy, and you know Utah might not be ready for him week one. But I don't know. I, I feel like Utah is mature enough, experienced enough, returns enough from the team that was really good last year to handle business. This is a business trip week one of the season, but it's a big game. And it's such a it is such a big game for the conference, right? Huge you know, game, Utah's yeah. probably gonna be a top ten team. Although I don't I have no idea what's big for the you know what's big for the conference? This media rights negotiation. <laughs> that is true. That is that's true. what's big for the conference. I mean for yeah, I understand what you're saying though from a playoff perception. Yes. I mean if Utah this year they're gonna it's be a big game. Top ten, top fifteen ish uh, preseason, if they go on the road, win a true game, road game at Florida, I mean, they're pushing yeah. top five right away after week one. So I do think it's a huge game uh, just for the perception of the Pac-12 and Utah. But I think right now, for me, man, I think this is Florida. I just I, just, I think it's going to be too big of a, too many athletes. Well, Anthony Richardson, I think it's tough for Utah. It's going to be a, uh, a top three game of the weekend in all likelihood, I would think. Uh, what else? Let's see. USC... USC is playing Rice in their opener. They are. 3 o'clock on the Pac-12 network. That's 30, great. 34.5-point favorite is USC. Mm. Mm. Screw USC. Give me Rice. Just go against USC and UCLA all year. I can't bet these guys. What conference is Rice in? Conference USA. Yeah. Sounds right. Sounds yeah, right. Conference right? USA. You nailed it. Thank you. 
Yeah. You're a big college football guy. I'm a big college basketball guy is the re- is the thing. And so Do you I, even know Rice basketball? The Owls? The Owls. It's definitely the Owls. Morris, uh, Morris Almond back in the day. He was a first-round pick. Morris who? Almond. He was a first-round oh, pick Almond. of uh, <laughs> nice. Utah, I believe, and he's terrible. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, so. Luke, Luke Wilson, Seahawks fifth-round pick, tight end, Canadian. He went to Rice. And didn't Lance Berkman go to Rice? It sounds about right, maybe. I don't know. Texas guy. Uh, so it looks like there's one other Pac-12 I liked, game. I liked though. Lance Berkman a lot. One other Pac-12 game, Judah. TCU uh, at Colorado. Big 12 versus the Pac-12 right there. Uh, Colorado is eight and a half point dogs in that one. TCU, eight and a half point favorites. TCU, eight and a half point favorite on? On the road against Colorado. Who's the head coach at TCU now? Ugh, I should know. It's been Gary Patterson for 40 years. Which he looks oh, so weird. Oh, it's Sonny Dykes. Nice. I forgot. Wow. Sonny Dykes. about that one, too. Yeah. He based was at on, SMU, I think, after leaving that, I'm going to go with Colorado. Uh, take the eight and a half. No, I think Colorado's going to be the worst team in the Pac-12 this year. Like, I, I do, too. Uh, you know, last year it was Arizona and Colorado were just a tier below everyone. And it feels like Arizona had a really good offseason. I didn't see that from Colorado. If anything, from what I saw from Colorado this year, they, they kind of got depleted by the transfer portal. They were on the wrong side of the transfer portal, uh, namely with Christian Gonzalez, and, uh, you know, several other people, Brandon Rice leaves for USC, and they kind of lost a lot of their young talent. So I'll be curious to see what, what Colorado – I'm not sure Carl Durrell's a good good head coach. I'm I know. still waiting and seeing on I him. I think he's a really nice guy, and I just don't know if – does he last past this year? Like, I could see a version of this where they're making another coaching change next year if it goes wrong. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Colorado's the worst team of the Pac-12. I, I still would take the points. I think, you know, eight and a half is a lot. Uh, to get at home, so I would take the points, but I think TCU wins that game. Well, wasn't it weird last year that, I mean, I know they had Brandon Rice, they had uh, uh, Landman, the lo- the linebacker, was a good player for Colorado. Texas A&M goes in there, and they, that was a tough, tough game. They're winning the so whole weird. game 3-0, yeah. And A&M had a, uh injury at quarterback, I believe, in that game. I think that's the game that Hayes King got hurt. Yeah, and then Calzada. And then Calzada had to come in and but they had to get like a late touchdown to uh, Isaiah Spiller just to win that game in Denver. And I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, Colorado might be a tough team. Turns out they're not that tough of a team. And then AM beats Alabama later in the year. Like AM ends up being a really, really good good program. So it just goes to show you September games are a little funky, but I'll lean with you there. I'll lean the Colorado plus eight and a half on TCU. Um Although that that does tell you what people think of Colorado at this point. Ouch. All right, we'll go away, come back, wrap things up on a Friday BFT in a moment on the BFT Radio Network. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. If I ever had to take a hip-hop class like Sean did, I would probably just play this hook and freestyle to it myself. Because we got to move it like Barry. Give me a couple bars right now. Go. Instead, let's uh, let's go out to the phone lines. One of my favorite callers. One of my favorite people. Nick Cody. Dial it up from Seattle. Nick Cody, what's up, dude? How you doing? Judah! 
newbie. How's it been going, man? Great, man. Talking a little college football the last couple of days, and it feels good. feels really good. Usually when I'm calling up here, I'm already, like, lined up, like, let me talk to Samson. But yes. now it's let me talk to young newbie. The one problem I have, man, is all this heat you were bringing since you came back, where's it gone? You, you, you got really uh, almost sugary sweet today hosting. Yeah, yeah, I softened up a little bit. Softened up a little bit. I'll be honest, my vo- I'm still working my voice back from uh, from the COVID list, uh, like oh, from shit. a couple weeks from a couple weeks back, and uh, so. But I'm I'm getting back, man. I'm getting back into it. And frankly, talking college football, uh, it'll get me going. But you want Angry Judah? Is that what you're saying? I brought Angry Judah a couple weeks ago, and people seem to like that. I'm telling you, there's certainly a balance. I'm starting to learn. I've started to try and take up stand-up comedy up here in Seattle. And there's quite a balance of when you can turn it up and when you can turn it off. But I always know the best young newbie is an angry young newbie, man. <laughs> You've always brought the heat. And uh, especially with conference realignment, man, Like yes. I- I'm shocked it-, it hasn't just stuck on it. But I understand we're in baseball season. The Mariners are doing pretty good. You're probably on a high note right now. Once we head into September... Uh, you know, by the time we're in November, I'm sure you'll be back. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely true, dude. And frankly, I think I'm trying to be ignorant of what is going to happen to this fine conference. What do you think? What do you think is next for the Pac-12, Nick? Oh, you ain't. You aren't the only one, brother. Uh, if anything, uh, Oregon should start uh, lining up with all these semi-pro leagues. In my opinion, you know, like like Oregon should be competing right there with the XFL and CFL. In my opinion, but <laughs> hey, that's just me. We should get a uh, you know a three-on-three. You know how they do the three-on-three tournaments of like alumni yes, teams. Like I saw a Garrett yes, Sim highlight the other day. I was like, that guy's still balling. We should get an alumni semi-pro football league going. And Nick Cody, bring him back at right tackle. I've been saying this for years. I wasn't uh, completely in line with everything Willie Taggart did, but the uh, the halftime alumni flag football game needs to come back. That is Ooh. the one thing Willie Taggart brought in. And, hey, i got to remind everybody out there, I'm the guy that had the first catch in that game. And, you know, it's only going to go. I didn't have a second catch, but if we have another game, I guarantee you I get that first one again. <laughs> Buckle up. It's the alumni halftime flag football game. It's the Willie Taggart special. Next time Oregon plays, where is Willie these days? I forgot. See? Back at Western Kentucky? I don't know. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> but, hey, man, I'd, I'd pay money to see you uh, see a star in that game as well, Nick. Six weeks away from Ducks, hey. Georgia, Nick. Six weeks. Appreciated, Judah, and uh, appreciate all the support from the radio channel. And just just wanted to end the week on one note. Just uh, pours up everybody for Spencer Webb. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, congrats to Oregon. They they did a tremendous job of honoring him in, in yesterday's uh, announcements and uh, the the whole thing telecast. And I wish I could have been there, but uh, just shout out to all my Oregon brothers and sisters. And uh, Spencer Webb, you you won't be forgotten. Uh, you know, your your legacy will carry on and. Uh, I hope we honor him just as much, if not more, than we did Todd Docs in my freshman year. So thank you, Judah. Have a great weekend, everybody. Blessings, brother. There he is, Nick Cody, former Oregon Duck. That is the right note, I think, to take. And uh, it was a good memorial service last night for Spencer Webb. By the way, Willie Taggart, Florida Atlantic, took over for Lane Kiffin. Oh, is that right? Well, Willie Taggart at FAU. Well, I guess he won't be playing Oregon anytime soon. But if he did, we'd have the alumni flag football game at halftime. All right, Peter Sampson of the Pulse is up next here in Portland. Talk to you next week on the BFT Radio Network.